Filmmaker Commentary, episode 90. Welcome to Filmmaker Commentary, where we give you insights from our favorite filmmaking commentaries. These commentaries can be heard on your DVD and Blu-rays of your favorite movies. We'll show you how you can use these commentaries and apply them to improve your video production and filmmaking techniques. All of this here on Filmmaker Commentary. I'm your host, Reginald Titus Jr. Welcome to Filmmaker Commentary. I'm Reginald Titus Jr. I'm joined with... KCG Smith. Welcome back, sir. Good to be back, sir. And today we're talking about Hot Fuzz, directed and written by Edgar Wright, co-written by Simon Pegg, 2007. We have a budget of $9.8 million. And how about that box office? So it's fascinating with this particular box office, when we think about, normally we think domestic, but this was actually originally released in the UK. So mm-hmm. domestically there, it ended up pulling in... Total of about $41 million and opening on February 16th of 2007. And then, of course, here in the States, it opened on April 20th, ended up doing a total of about $23,637,000 over its uh, run here. So we're really technically a part of the worldwide box office. There you go. Which It's a little different. Yeah. Did you give the, that final number? Worldwide. Um, worldwide, I have $80 million There you go. Worldwide. That is a win. That is a win. <laughs> and he's and Edgar is such a like uh, efficient, economical filmmaker that he, he figured out how to make this thing work. His takes are kind of up there. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, man. If you watch outtakes of his takes. I didn't take it. I didn't watch his outtakes. It's quite the intake. You know what I'm saying? It, it's, it goes up there. It's the same thing with Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Right. That one, that one went over budget for sure. Uh, and that one also was a little bit of an L too. Like we, we saw that. Okay, um, but but yeah, with this one they they made their money. I think that's maybe that's how he got Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, heck yeah, had to was for that. Had to. Yeah, and I'm trying to think if he directed Shaun of the Dead also. Yeah, because that would be in these two partnering again mm-hmm. for that. Because because they keep talking in the commentary. We'll talk about it a little bit later, but they keep referencing Shaun of the Dead. Yep. Yeah, he did Shaun of the Dead. He directed Worlds in. Oh wait, no, that's a different. That's the different Worlds in. Yeah. Huh. And he did Baby Driver. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Baby Driver's nice. It's a nice one. Would have done Ant-Man, but had some disagreements with, with, uh, with Marvel. He was, I mean, he was, he was there. Yeah, they worked good. on it. They worked on it for years. He was the director on it. And then they, they couldn't, they got to a point where the MCU had developed so much, mm-hmm. where his vision for the film and where the cinematic universe was going just didn't quite sync up. And they had, just a, they had an amiable parting of ways. And then they okay. brought in Peyton... Read for to, the original Ant Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, but yeah, he, Edgar Wright was attached to that for years. That'd be cool to see his take. But uh, I agree. If they let him put his flavor on it, I think they they told. I mean, they let every director put their flavor on, it and it mm-hmm. w- it would work. I mean, can you imagine all this like quick kind of jump cuts? And it would have worked for Ant Man. Oh, it totally would have. And with with Paul Rudd and all that kind of stuff. And there's there's a little bit of that when you get some of the recaps um, with um, what's our dude uh, Michael. No. In Michael, in the Marvel universe, yeah, the one who does the does the recaps, uh, he's like, and then this happened over here and over there. Oh, <laughs> I, I can't think of the brother's name, man. I'm blanking on his on his name. Um, does the recaps? He's uh, um, Hispanic Hispanic male. It's been quite a few films. Real funny, but like during the films, like all of a sudden he'll, he'll start talking about, yeah, my, my my sister's cousin, this and that, you know. Oh, okay. You're thinking you're talking about Ant Man, and he does the guy that does. I don't know his name, but I know exactly who you're talking yeah. about. I'm like. <laughs> that's bad 
that's, I'm blanking on it. I got to. That's pretty bad. Got to find it. Yeah, I don't. Even, I, ne- I never knew his name actually. So I, I know. I know the dude's name, man. I've seen him in so much. And just, his most popular. He was popular in what film? I'm trying to dig it out of my brain. The thing he's the most famous for, though. Mm, did I already pass him up on this list? Michael Pena. Michael Pena. What is he known for? The like? third. Hmm, interesting. Uh, he is known for American Hustle, Crash, End of Watch. That was a, that was a pretty good one. Him and Jake Gyllenhaal, End mm-hmm. of Watch, Ant Man was probably his biggest biggest breakthrough role. Crash. It's been a long time since I've seen Crash. I'm like, yeah, that was breakthrough. Anybody in there had some work for a while after that. <laughs> but what uh, what bro- kind of broke him out was? Did he have anything? Ships, Collateral, Beauty. He was in The Martian. He's in Fury. Never, never saw Fury. Cesar Chavez. Oh, okay. Well, he played the lead in that. Gangster Squad, End of Watch. Gangster Squad, End of Tower Heist, The Lincoln Lawyer. Ah, uh, yeah. How many? He was typecast a lot, though. He was always sure. a Latino gangster. Yeah. Um, he's He's been pretty consistent. Like, like every year, at least being in one or two projects, He's in, he, he was in... The same year he was in, came out in Crash, he was also in Million Dollar Baby. Mm-hmm. Like, whoever his agent is, Gone in 60 Seconds? Yes, that's it. Huh. <laughs> Dude's been working since... That's it. Wow, since like 94. He's the go-to Latino gangster guy. Wow. Yeah. Um, I mean, and again, I mean, TV and film, dude, Pena is working, dude. Keep him working. But I like, uh, I like the fact that he started doing more comedy. You know, because mm-hmm. he was always like in the serious, like mugging kind of stuff. Ah. Uh, but the, the fact that he has all that comedy chops, I'm like, yeah, okay. I bet, I bet he kind of looked the same too, and for quite some time, for the last twenty years, just kept his look. Yes, Michael Pena. I knew it was Michael. So I was like, Michael. He does the recaps and like the stories don't add. I forgot there was something about those recaps that don't make sense because it's his whoever like it cuts to like mm-hmm. in, in his recaps like flashbacks. Yeah, that person who's talking is talking with his voice still yes and it's like lip sync to him which yeah. is pretty funny it's, it's actually pretty good yeah that would have worked with some Edgar Wright and see I'm curious where that came from like was that Peyton Reed or, or was that even um, Paul Rudd's idea because Paul Rudd helped punch up the script some too uh-huh. uh, as they were kind of finalizing it he, he did some uh, some punching up interesting yeah well before we talk further about hot fuzz let's talk about news and movies watched so, according to an article from Variety.com, AMC Theater's stock soars on Amazon acquisition speculation, mm. being the key word there. Boom. So, uh, shares of AMC Entertainment surged Monday amid speculation that the country's largest exhibition chain could be an acquisition target for Amazon. Both companies did not immediately request or return requests for a comment, <laughs> and the report in the Daily Mail that goosed share prices indicated that Amazon's interests may have waned. So, you know, this is still a potential work in progress. It may have already kind of passed. Um, but just from this alone, mm-hmm. Amazon's stock rocketed, skyrocketed up from uh, basically it went up 45 percent during early trading uh, on Monday and topped out at about five dollars and 80 cents. Boom. Uh, just a little quick side history. Uh, AMC was bought by a Chinese conglomerate 
Daily in Wanda for $2.6 billion in 2012, mm-hmm. but it bought back $600 million worth of shares in 2018 after Beijing cracked down on overseas investments by Chinese companies. Mm-hmm. And then also Wanda, you know, they they did a, they launched an expansion in 2016 and, and bought, is it called Odeon, uh, from the UK for $920 million from a former, from a British financer, Guy Hand's private equity firm called Terra Firma. And U.S. group Carmike Cinemas for $1.1 billion. So that deal turned AMC into the world's largest cinema company from 1,000 outlets to 10,000 screens around the world. Mm. However, this expansion, this plan backfired and left AMC saddled with debts that are now close to $5 billion. Last month, AMC had to raise $500 million from bond investors in an effort to stay afloat during this pandemic. Right. I remember hearing that. So what do you think? It's like, will AMC... Go bankrupt. Again, I think it's going to be highly dependent on what happens over the next two months. Right? We think about movie theaters. We think about the, you know, the term summer blockbuster. Right. You can only imagine how crucial the summer is. And, and let's be honest, over the past, I'd say, three to four years, really, April has been the kickoff of, mm. of the summer. We've mm-hmm. had some huge movies drop in April over the past couple of years. Avengers Endgame? Yeah. Yeah. Infinity War may have been... I think it may have been May, actually, of the two years prior. Was that two year two year wait in between? Wow! In in was it two War and Endgame? No, it was only yeah, a probably year. Probably been a year. It was, it was yeah. a year because okay. people were complaining. That seemed too far. Yeah, people were complaining. We got to wait a whole year. I'm like, this is the quickest you ever got a sequel to any. Anyway, whatever. Yeah. So, um, yeah. But that I mean, I think I think Cap Civil War may have been an April mm-hmm. movie. Other films as well, but I mean, but those are all big, Marvel's big, yeah. keeping people in business. Big big movies. So imagine that obviously May. In June, I mean, hell, I mean, heck, we're in May right now, yep. and some theaters are opening with limited capacity. But can you imagine any theater chain? It's one thing not having any business at all, but to not have it during the summer. <laughs> so, so <laughs> I'm sorry, I just I had a picture of, when you said that, like the the theaters are open with limited capacity, like one person in the theater, like looking around with the mask on. Hmm, nobody. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> My favorite film. <laughs> This is great. That'd probably it's like be like being at home. That'd be a good kid. I'm like, yo, this is lit. No distractions. Projectionist. It's almost Ro- like being at home. Roll them. <laughs> Roll them. Watching trolls. That would be fascinating. Oh, but I mean, I've gone to a movie. Like, you go to like a, a movie like during the day. Yeah. Like people that review films, like when they go like during the day. I mean, it's kind of what it's pretty. That's true. Sparse. So, There's different circumstances. You know what I mean? That's like, very, that's very, very true. <laughs> I bet those floors would be the cleanest they've been in so long. <laughs> yeah. Like no, new not, carpet, not sticky or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I might. I, I, I've been. I've been considering. Well, I don't know. I don't even know what around here what might be open. Yeah. Now I best just stick to like a drive. Yeah, I'm staying home. Yeah. I'd ask how many people are, are what's the capacity coming in, you know, in this space? But it's just being that that long with that many people. And it, I'm sure people will be spaced out, but there's still psychologically we're you know, we're dark. All, we're all a little bit down. <laughs> he said it's dark. Hey, 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 where you going? Where you going? It seems like a place where COVID would just hang out. I'm gonna yeah. just go to the theater, guys. Be waiting for y'all. Yeah. <laughs> the COVID creeper. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, yeah. Best stick to the drive-in for now. So I'm, I'm, man. See, I don't know, man. I think within the next two months, unless something like drastic happens mm-hmm. with all that debt, 
And, That's a lot. And and your your biggest time of the year, nothing happening. I mean, where is your revenue coming from if you aren't open? Yeah. And now and again, I think we had covered an article a couple of weeks back. It's like they were like, "Hey, we're not paying rent right now." Yep. So that can only go for so long. But so here's my question for you. Mm-hmm. Well, well, number one, do you think they'll go bankrupt? And then I have a follow up question for you. Probably. That's not a good sign that they're raising five hundred million from bond investors mm-hmm. just to stay afloat. This is not this is not for anything. This is just to stay afloat. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder how that Amazon, how the Amazon news like kind of leaked. I wonder if that's like a like real news or if that's kind of like a way to kind of get the shares up a little sure, bit. Create some some interest, some buzz. I can see probably Amazon partnering up, you know, trying to combine. Or if it goes to bankruptcy, somebody's gonna get the get it for cheap. Get it for cheap, yeah, that's true. I think so. Again, I was I, I first found out about this through uh, the John Campia show, and I was listening to some of uh, John Campia and my man uh, Robert Meyer Burnett some of their insights on it. And it's funny because Campia had mentioned, he mentioned this like two months ago, mm-hmm. like it being a good idea for someone like Amazon came in. Um, that's like fat. Even like, you know, play back the video. And he said, it's like, Oh, that's pretty fascinating. And then it's logical. Meyer, yeah. It yeah, makes sense. Rob Meyer said, you know, Hey, you know, what if they were to take a theater that say normally had like 16, they, they took a Cineplex that had like 16 theaters in it. And what if they took two of those theaters and turned them into like stores like buying experiences. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like going to, to a mall, but said you put in movie merchandise. Can you imagine going in? All right, I'm going and, and going to see the next Marvel movie. Now there's a, there's a whole store stock with, with MCU or star Wars or whatever merch toys, like right there. And they say like with like in California, apparently there are like Amazon stores mm-hmm. where the tech is set up in such a way. When you go in you kind of just, you scan your prime ID Mm-hmm. And then from there you go in and grab, grab whatever you, you grab your stuff, and it all yeah, you know, and you just you just walk out, and it all just gets charged to your prime account. It's just like just easy breezy, but you can imagine something like that in a theater. I'm like, that would be kind of cool. It would be. That would be kind of cool. It'd be kind of genius actually. It's like mm-hmm. that would make for again like this premium experience. Yeah. Uh, you imagine you had, bring the you company had, back to America. Why hey, not? You imagine if you had toys. After you watch a, you know, whatever, whatever, and then you got the toys there. Yeah. That's a wrap, man. Yeah. That's a wrap. Toys, posters, t-shirts. That just makes sense. It's like, it's like next level, you mm-hmm. know? Like, if you want to make this experience, like, go next level, you know, you bring that in. Um, and, and again, Amazon specializes in selling other people's stuff. I think it does, but they'll probably have to reduce a lot of the locations. They're good business people. They'll probably have to, especially the ones that aren't performing because... Looking at this article, this article is from a, a, a website called this. Wait, this is money. Co. Uk. All right. In 2019, AMC generated revenues of 5.5 billion, but it made a loss of 149 million, and its net debt is standing at 4.7 billion. So they got a they got some issues that they need to. So you said they grossed five billion. Yeah, they generated 5.5 billion revenue in 2019. Okay, but that still was enough to 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 make profit. They still were at a loss of 149 million. Is that operating? Is that operating expense? This is just this is just like kind of like generic numbers. It's not sure. even it's not even the financial statement. Mm. It's just the revenue 5.5 billion made a loss of 149 million. 
but it still has a net debt standing at four point seven billion. Now, see, I'm also wondering because part of it is also again they've been they've been investing and upgrading, and they're still launching the uh, their subscription service as well, which mm-hmm. apparently was beginning to to start to to pay off some dividends for them. So, I think they would have all things considered. I think I think they would have potentially had a better year. 2020 possibly yeah yeah um but they were just in a bad position for a pandemic pandemic i don't know if anybody's in a good position for <laughs> amazon is oh well played sir well you're played welcome. you're welcome <laughs> thank you um but yeah so it uh man it it sucks to be like in like brick and mortar stuff amazon's gonna have to probably make some cuts if they do purchase it that's a lot of that's a lot of screens yeah it would be fascinating. Like, again, somebody mentioned, again, on the camp show, they mentioned, you know, what if your Amazon Prime membership, you mm-hmm. know, like, you've got your significant discount or maybe one or two free movies. Uh, Heck, yeah. I think it will. Yeah, that th- would be I think if they could, nice. they will, if they did purchase it, they will integrate. They're the best at keeping uh, people in their ecosystem. Yeah. The only reason they're in movies is to keep, so that you can be part of Amazon Prime because that's, that's not true. the biggest way they make money. Yeah. And they wouldn't really need to like honestly, they could from an infrastructure standpoint, they could keep most of of um AMC's at least like their in- internal structure. Mm-hmm. They don't need to change that. I mean, cuz as a business they're, you know, doing their thing. And again, mm-hmm. they've just been working towards upgrading, but they've been around for a long time. It's just again, pandemics, pandemics. <laughs> yeah. But um mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh We'll see. I mean, again, maybe it's all just just speculation, but it'll be very fascinating to to uh to see what what happens? But I say we have within the next two months without something drastic. Uh, That's going to decide uh, everything. Yeah, I don't know how, how how you can hang on, and who knows? Like, who knows who else is going to uh, within these next two months? What else? Who else is going to step in? Yeah, Netflix, well, what else? Netflix can step in. Yeah, but I always thought it'd be kind of cool if Netflix came up uh, with a kind of a modified version of a coffee house kind of theater mm-hmm. vibe. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily like just a maybe not necessarily a huge screen, but just. You know, a space where you go to where you have couches, people can you know, sit down and, you know, almost like a living room kind of setting, but slightly bigger. Mm-hmm. Maybe a classroom size almost. Not super, super huge. Well, it would be cool if, yeah, if it was a Netflix theater. They'll still carry the studio's films, but carry their own. But maybe if you're a Netflix subscriber, you can get into their films for free. Absolutely. Like around the world. That would be Absolutely. dope. Yeah. That'll be smart. <laughs> yeah. Because then you can have these like watch parties, you know, so mm-hmm. you, can you then you get that communal experience mm-hmm. now. But again, like ain't like any theater, you know, you make your money off, you know, the, the sugar. Seated sugar. <laughs> yep. Pretty much. <laughs> you know, the concessions is, mm-hmm. is where that would have to be. But again, you know, if they're smart, maybe they sell some merch, you know, I don't know, Netflix T-shirt or something like that. Or, yeah. you know, you can get some merch out there. It'll be smart. Yeah. Especially when you own it and you can capture the people and have them. Yeah, you could do a lot. Yeah, well, you could think you could theme it up, you know, mm-hmm. like hey, you know, it's going to be a like a binge, you know, like hey, where 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 hours wise, you could stay open, you know, and mm-hmm. do a, a a crazy late thing, true, uh, for for something, um, or like something with the kids, like you know, Netflix has a new Transformers series mm-hmm. that's getting set to to drop in June, I think. Um, I don't know, just yeah. Different things that you That's could right. do and just make it. That's the one Kevin Smith is working on. No, he's working on He-Man, Masters ah, of the Universe. There you go. Which is supposed to be like a direct continuation of the old Funimation. It's going to be stuff. interesting. Yeah, man. Netflix, they're still, you know, they're, they're still holding it down, trying to, they're doing that thing. All right. Uh, any more 
Anything else for news? That's all I had. All right. Movies watched. So, I took in the documentary Becoming with oh, the oh, first lady. Michelle Obama. Michelle Obama. So, I, I watched that when that dropped last Thursday, I believe it was. I saw the trailer. I was like, ooh, this is going to be inspiring. Yeah. It was good, man. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I, mm-hmm. I, I bought my mom a book, I want to say for Christmas. She's been on the best hell list year. for quite some time. Yeah, I purchased that for her. Um, I think it was for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I think it was before, maybe for her birthday. Anyway, uh, but yeah, I watched mm-hmm. it. It was very entertaining. I, I've only really heard Michelle Obama speak a couple of a couple of times. Yeah, um, it's kind of just you know admired her from from a distance. But this was really cool. I heard just diving into her life and her journey, and man, she's just she's so real but classy at the same time. You're like, man, we have some good people. Man, just just good good people. But she 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 strikes that that blend. She talks about you know her 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 journey and yeah, class yeah, and this you know being pulled kind of you know pulled into politics. But yeah, it's it's totally worth checking out. Becoming on Netflix. Speaking of greatness, but not necessarily class. Oh, the Last Dance episode seven and eight. Hey. <laughs> Holy crap! <laughs> yeah. Um. Where do we start? MJ, MJ. Just in case y'all been living under a rock, there's been a documentary series called The Last Dance. Um, it's a 10-part documentary, right? 10-part documentary. 10 next, part. next weekend will be the last two episodes. And this has been captivating. Oh, this, I love it. I love it's it. Been I love cap- it. We've been thirsting for sports. Mm-hmm. Some kind of activity. Some kind of fighting. We need it all. And it's in this documentary. Talk about perfect timing, man. It is. Perfect timing. Perfect timing. And... Uh, Kind of getting a chance to revisit and, you know, a lot of young people, you know, they've heard about Michael Jordan, seen the shoes and stuff like that, but don't necessarily got a chance, didn't have a chance to witness him entertain us. His greatness. Yeah, his greatness. But man, for me, this documentary from, it has, what has it done for me? Is let me see what it takes to be great. You know, what sacrifices you have to make in order to be the greatest. You know, we talk about the greatest. We think about like, say, Michael Jackson, for example. You sure. know, all the sacrifices this guy had to do to become the best at what he did. And a lot of tragedy in his life. Sure. Um, in his family's life. Same thing when, when I look at Michael, jo- uh, Michael Jordan's story is just it's tragic. You know, when I look at his story, it's a it's a tragedy you know and kind of seeing him go back and look through his life it's not a good guy you know he just isn't you know i've read tons of stories about just off the court just how he is didn't believe it Uh (laughs) or didn't want to believe it you know but then when you have so many people like reconfirming like yeah this dude's a jerk this dude's done this so my question for you is when you say he's not a good guy yeah what what specifically would you say makes him not a quote unquote good guy how he treats people you know what way uh so one story that i'm that i know about like off the court his wife how he treated his wife all these extramarital affairs paying off women that he was that were his mistresses he would pay him off and then i think he like reneged, reneged on one he was supposed to like pay this girl like five million dollars but didn't pay her and so like that's why like on the, all this news started kind of popping up about him cheating on his wife and so what led to his divorce 168 million dollars you know divorce settlement all that stuff it was like dang so that for one 
But one story is of uh, uh, Chameleonaire. You, are you familiar with Chameleonaire, the rapper? No. Came from Houston. He's a, uh, uh, dang, rapped with Paul Wall. They were part of a, a rap group from back in the day, Houston, early 2000s. But uh, he had the popular song called Riding Dirty. Okay. Riding Dirty. But anyhow, now he's uh, a tech uh, investor. So he's in Silicon Valley investing in tech. So he's kind of bringing a lot of like African-Americans to invest into the tech space. Um, but anyhow, every, like on the underground, everybody knows Communer. You know, he's just a popular rapper. But he had went to a party. It was a Michael Jordan party. And they I think they were, uh, I wrote this thing down too. Uh, they were doing an auction for Michael Jordan jersey, something like that. And uh, Communer was like outbidding another guy, like $15,000 for like a Michael Jordan uh, jersey. And Communer was like, man, I. My his dad wouldn't really let him listen to rap and like a bunch of cuts stuff when he was younger. His dad's Nigerian, his mom's African American Christian, so when he grew up, he couldn't really listen to a lot of like terrible rap. So, you know, he's kind of known for like some of, when you listen to his rap music, it's not filled with a lot of like cussing and stuff like that. He's very clever on how he puts his raps together. Uh, and so he was bidding this one guy. They were just going up and up and up, and he was like, "Bro, let's just." Why are you bidding up so high? You don't want this jersey. And the guy was like, man, I'm just trying to impress Kim Kardashian <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> he said, hey, let's get the jersey. We'll split it or whatever. And so you know, he was able to get the jersey 15000 Something like that. Seven, Actually, no, it was like 7000 And then Michael Jordan's there. And so he's and then commander's like, hey, man, you know, I'd like to take a picture of you. You know what I mean? And, you know, the whole he's a fan. He said, coming up, I, you know, I didn't you were my fan. You know, I wasn't you. You're my idol. I mean. And you and Michael Jackson. And then Michael Jordan was like, I don't take no pictures with no N-word. I don't take pictures with N-word. <laughs> and then <laughs> Communer was like, just like kind of like crushed. He's like, I don't take no pictures with no. But and Communer also says Michael Jordan was taking pictures, taking pictures the whole night with certain women. I ain't going to say what kind, but certain women. Okay. And so he, he was just kind of like crushed by it. He was like, dang, man. And then Paul Pierce came in and was like, hey, MJ, that's a. Uh, Chill out. That's Kamina. You don't know who me Kamina is. I don't give a. You don't give a. I know rapper saying all this stuff. And then <laughs> Spike Lee was there. And then Spike Lee was like, "Man, I'm sorry, you know." Because Kamina was like, "Hey, I made it out of here." Spike Lee was like, "Hey, I'm sorry." Uh, that's just how MJ is. Like people know how he is and how he treats certain people, especially rappers. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was like one of the things where it was like Kamina was like, "Man, I wanted to fight that dude. Like I really wanted to fight." right then and there because of how he treated me he's like this is a guy that i looked up to and i just i he said i heard so many stories about this guy about how he used to treat workers when he was in chicago they'll clean out his car he'd be smoking weed and stuff like before it was legal you know he was like smoking weed out and stuff he's like nah not michael jordan you know (laughs) there's like you know there were stories following this guy and then he's like man never meet your heroes (laughs) so that's a story that kind of sticks out as far as like how he treats people sure so from this documentary yeah what have you gleaned to confirm those things? Uh, just how he treated his teammates. You know, berating him. When you hear him, like, cussing him. Oh, what you got to say now? You know what I'm saying? Like, like oh, man. what you going to do now? B word. You know, like, sure. the stuff that he's saying is fighting words. In like, <laughs> like, straight up and down fighting words. You, you didn't really see him kind of go at some of the, like, Oakley or some of the other guys, but, like, certain people just, like, demeaning well, him. That was, that was still early in his career. He hadn't established himself the same way. Yeah. But, yeah, fighting, punching his teammates, like, no. No, bro. You don't treat people like that. But when Kerr, okay, so I'd always heard about, you know, 
Jordan like you know punching, uh, hit him punching, in the eye, punching yeah. Steve Kerr. So they're both giving an account right of of what was taking place. He was you know going in on on, on Kerr this and that, and from Jordan's perspective, Kerr punched him in the chest, and yeah, then and pushed then, him, get him off, and then Jordan like just went off and you know like stole him. Um, and then afterwards, of course, you know, said he you know, felt bad, this and that, you know, and then and cursing, you know, after, you know, we, we talked about it. Teammates getting into a squabble in a sport, that's nothing new. So I'm like, ah, eh, Punched okay. him in the face. <laughs> Teammates, high-performing, competitive athletes, you can't yeah. tell me this hasn't happened with, with other players in other sports. It has. So I'm like, that's, it's just amplified because it's Michael Jordan. That's not a, that's not a new thing. That mm-hmm. happens high school, college, professional sports, like. Come on, that's that's gonna happen. These guys are super competitive. Mm-hmm. He is super competitive. Kerr is super competitive. Right, right, right. Um, Probably the B rating. Then if you know, but even that, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna tell me, especially during that time period. We're talking, we're talking nineties. You're gonna tell me that there weren't coaches. College, we had college coaches. This that's not that says not a new thing. Having a coach or players getting in. Hey, we hey we got to fight better. Hey, this is not some new unknown thing so I'm like why are people like wigging out about it I'm not saying it's right or wrong right. but in in I think people are surprised the time I think people are surprised at the extent that it was on like how he's riding his people how he's cutting them out shut up ho. what you gonna do now motherfucker? you know it's like that's because you, the NBA product right is always so clean right if, if, if they go back to playing games this season and there's his no own crowds teammates. and there's I'm own, talking about his own teammates as a leader berating certain people Telling people you're not going to eat because you played poorly. That's Horace Grant situation. You're not going to eat. No, he ain't going to eat because he didn't score enough. You know, you know, like Horace Grant, you know, on the backstory, Horace Grant was going to fight this dude. But other teammates had to stop him because he's like, dang, I didn't know Horace. There, of course, Michael Jordan had say so in how this thing was edited. So certain things that other people said to make him look bad, he's not going to have it in there. He's, he's letting these guys say Bill Winnington. He's letting these guys say that he was a jerk. Yeah. He's not he is not denying yeah. any of that. That hard he pushes teammates. On the other end though, mm-hmm. it's like, hey, he pushed he pushed them. Now does everything else operate this way? No. I'm not nope. saying, you know. No. Nah, but at the definitely. end of the at the end of the day, for what it's worth, would we be talking about Steve Kerr or Bill Winnington or Horace Grant? Uh if if not for how Jordan pushed and prepared his team for that time in the NBA in as part of the Eastern Conference. When you see how those dudes play to get to, to get past a New York Knicks team. I'm not disagreeing. I'm saying he's a you, they bad would, guy. <laughs> they would they would not have made it if Jordan had to have had developed that. And not so here's a, I fa- what's fascinating. I I really wonder how much having to play against the Pistons forced him to to kind of become that. The way the Pistons played, how they would, I mean, literally beat you up. They had to go next level. And then you had you had Knicks. The Knicks were kind of that next kind of incarnation. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to say Jordan is a, is, is, a, is, a, is a good guy. But I'm like, but he's not the only guy. When I'm looking at this time, this era, I'm like. Yeah, but we're talking about MJ, though. So that's the thing. Right, again, in, the NBA gave, yeah, NBA's P- NBA gave one image of, of MJ. Mm-hmm. MJ's PR gave one image of him. But the thing is that throughout this whole thing, he is not denying any stuff. And that's what I guess I guess I guess is what I appreciate. I'm like, all right. He's 
up, up to an extent. Yeah. Kind of like some of the other stuff is not going to be in there at all. You well, know? yeah, of course. But again, anybody doing a, a documentary, who's going to air all this stuff? If you take any given NBA, you take any given great NBA player. Let's say we do the Magic Johnson, mm-hmm. the last dance. What is what is his world look like? You know, mm-hmm. um, what does I don't know? You pick somebody. And it would, it would be, it would be, just, I don't know, it'd be, be fascinating. fascinating. It'd be fascinating to to see anybody, you can document anybody. All this stuff comes out. The tragedy comes out. Now, again, go, going to that mm-hmm. man, yeah. When you when when they won that championship after beating Seattle, uh, I remember that. I was watching that, and mm-hmm. him, him, and, and and you know, wrestling the ball from Randy Brown, and then him, you know, back in the locker room on the floor, just weeping. Yeah, like that. It's man, real. Yeah, that's something that you don't forget. Yeah, but as far as him going in on his teammates, again, he apologized to Steve Kerr. Like that, that was that's where he felt. Okay, I went too far, and he apologized for that. I'm like, okay, was other stuff? Okay, I'm sure there. I'm sure there was. Um, <laughs> yeah, to this day, you know, Horace Grant is like it was funny because uh, I listened to Shannon Sharp and all those guys, Skip Bayless, and he, like Horace Grant had to call Shannon Sharp. I don't know if you heard that show Mm-mm. because Shannon Sharp was like, "Dude, what are y'all doing? Y'all not defending yourself? Y'all letting this guy talk to you?" He was like. Shannon Sharp was like, I've won several, you know, I'm in the Hall of Fame, you know, Super Bowls, all that. One thing I won't let any person do is disrespect for me. And he was like, Horace Grant, you didn't stand, you didn't stand up for yourself, like talking to all these guys. Like, you can talk to me. I'm from football. You know, you you can talk crazy. And I told all my coaches, you can talk to me, you can motivate me, but don't disrespect me. You know, there's certain ways you can talk, talk to people to motivate them. You don't have sure. to disrespect them. He said, Michael Jordan's a bully. You know, that's what's coming off in this film. And Horace Grant called Shannon Sharp. He's like, look, bro, this is what went down. They cut the parts out because Horace Grant's in the film. You know, they're talking. He said, I look dead in the middle of that camera. I was like, Michael, I came at Michael Jordan and he doesn't want any parts of this. Period. They cut that out <laughs> because it comes off like these guys aren't taking up for themselves. You know, all the stuff that he's doing to him. He was like, yeah, we had another uh, Chicago Bull come in and kind of break it up because of how he was kind of talking to us. You know, it was starting. It was creating a lot of friction. Mm. But uh man, I don't know. It's uh it's definitely interesting. But like you say, you know, this is basketball at the end of the day. It's nineties. Yeah. This it's, is this is this is eighties, nineties basketball sports. Uh yeah. Different you don't different, have to disrespect your teammates. Different era. There's I, different ways I to agree. winning. You don't have to disrespect your uh that's why I say I think this is a tragedy because he kinda Looks back on his life and saying, you know, should I, you know, there's ways he could have led without doing certain things. Sure. But that's the way he knew how to do it. You know, it's pulling up, putting pressure on others to pull him up to a higher stand. Again, like the, the best way that he knew how doesn't make it right. Doesn't make it wrong. Again, I'm big, big, big on respect. Um, <laughs> he was expecting everybody. Left yeah. Right. But so it's going to be it's going to be fascinating. It would be it would be fascinating. God rest Kobe Bryant's soul. But like if, you know. There was a documentary or something like this when they were talking about him and how maybe he treated some of his teammates. Like, what would that look like? Or I'm sure you could take a multitude of different different players. Right. Um, what what comes out, or, or even different coaches. But yeah. Um, but you know what? He's willing to put this out there, right? He's yeah. willing to put this out there and to and you he knows that there's going to be all this different kind of talk. Yeah. And this and that. And I already that, knew that all about. That's gonna, Oh, that's going to MJ, come like, out. there's been stuff on the for years that's been mm-hmm. out there. It's just like, you know, maybe they're just kind of bitter. Who knows, you know? Once I, know. I heard about his Hall of Fame speech, <laughs> I was like, you know what? No, I, 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 I don't know. None of this none of this surprises or shocks me. I yeah. guess at the, at the end of the day, I'm not surprised or shocked. I'm like, 
all right, the dude was was super super hard on on his teammates, maybe to the point of of disrespect, but push them to push them to. Mm-hmm. I guess some, some people will will I guess become the bad guy. You know what I'm saying? To prepare others, like okay, you know what? If you want to hate me, that's fine. Hate me, but be able to channel that towards what we have to overcome. Right. Um, now, again, that's not the only way to do it. The ends but, don't justify the means to me. But it, <laughs> but for 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 these bulls, for them, it for them it worked. Because uh, if if not for some, it worked. It didn't work for what's the guy that he was the guy that he started highlighting um, the other ball guy that he kept cussing out. And he was like just kind of shrugging it off. He yeah. was kind of taking it, but he was like he just Michael Jordan's like he's just too nice of a guy. Yeah, he's trying, just, he's trying to get him to fight nice, me. Such a, yeah, such a nice guy. He's trying to just get him get him right up. Trying to get him to that next level. Scott Burrell. Yeah. <laughs> but again, I mean, like afterwards, like oh well, um, I mean, I don't. There's I hadn't a- even thought about Scott Burrell. <laughs> In 20 years until this doc, I was like, oh, yeah, Scott Burrell, whatever happened to. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of people I ain't thinking about until this thing came out. And that's the thing. It's like sports are so short lived that uh, what you do off the court is very, very important, in my opinion. That's why we, you know, we put Muhammad Ali as the greatest, you know, what he's mm-hmm. done for his people. And I think that's why uh, with LeBron. They are when people talk about the greatness is because of what a lot of the stuff he does off the court, because this this is basketball in the grand scheme of things. It's entertainment. Sure. You know what's all you have is like your relationships and kind of what you do for people after that. You know, when you talk to people that talk about Michael Jordan, it's just I don't know. It's uh, we can admire how great he was dribbling, dunking and doing all the stuff. But. Outside of that, then what? Because what's the residual effects of that? I don't know. Uh, but when we talk about like LeBron, we don't have LeBron or Kobe without Michael. Them for them to get to their platform the way that they play. Even though LeBron is, you know, he's got some magic, you know, as, as well. But it's Jordan's quote unquote push and sacrifice to be whatever he was that influenced heavily LeBron. And Kobe, they 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 come off of Jordan's coattails to to elevate. Who would they, would they be where they are, or, or, or as great as they are, without the example that Jordan set on on the court, and even from a uh, the doors he opened from a from a taking basketball to a on a global scale. Um, I don't know. Yeah, right. but it, I'm, it, I'm saying just off the court, you know, because you don't have that for Michael Jordan, for Michael Jordan. All you have is Nike shoe sales and how the NBA and how Nike was able to flip his image and make money off of it. But what LeBron is showing is how you can take your people that you grew up with and put them in positions to actually move the athlete and options forward. You know, like the NCAA stuff, like now you can get kids paid without having to play for free and central for the NCAA, Rich Paul. Uh, what he's doing for his city of Cleveland, Cleveland, Akron is an Akron. Sure, but mm-hmm. Michael pioneered the shoe deal. Like, Yo, I'm not, like I'm, next, like next. I'm not even disagreeing. I'm not even disagreeing. It. I'm just talking him to, in the Space Jam. I, I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm just saying, outside of just commerce, you know, just how are you? How are you able to affect? How are you affecting your community? What are people saying about you? You know what I mean? We. It's almost like the exact opposite when you look at LeBron's personal life and you look at MJ's personal life. You know, there's nothing to really take shots at. You know what I mean? It's right now. 
Again, we are while they're playing. I'm talking about while he's playing. While he's playing, he's cheating on his wife. He's you know he's doing all this stuff while he's playing. He's gambling while he's playing. We're talking about LeBron, 17 years in the game. The only thing they can say is you don't have enough championships. <laughs> That's all we can say about LeBron. All all we all we know of. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and it'll be even easier to catch him these days because of social media. Hey, I I hope I hope everything is as as <laughs> as it appears. I'm just yeah. I'm just giving you an example. I'm just giving you an example on the court, off the court. You know, Michael Jordan. His quote is, "Republicans buy shoes too." In a, in in a, <laughs> what he said was a was a joke. And it was taken and, out of context. And, and he said, "Look, he gave a donation to this guy's uh, platform to his campaign." He mm-hmm. said, I don't, "I'm not going to speak out for him, but I gave a donation to." So that so so he waits all this time, right? Right. And he could have spoke out about this, you know, a long time ago. And, and who knows? Maybe it's buried in a newspaper article somewhere. Mm-hmm. But he said he gave a donation, and then he waits now. Says I gave a donation to it. So it makes me wonder, you know, what else has he maybe given donations to? Maybe not even, you know, said anything about or spoken about or whatever, whatever. I don't know. That, that's 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 what I'm very curious about. I remember right. back in college that um, one of the programs, entertainment, sport, promotion, management. They they were doing a project where they where they were they were comparing athletes and they were saying okay and again they specifically targeted Michael Jordan. Yeah. I said, well, what makes him so aside from what he's done on the court? What has he done from a, a community standpoint? Right. And they threw that out there. And I'm like, you know, I thought I was like, did he do things with the Ronald McDonald's house back in the day in the in, <laughs> in the in the in the 80s? Um, like I remember, I remember seeing stuff for that. Mm-hmm. Like there's a, there's an actual commercial. He's talking about like even like you know you've been through abuse, you see something, you know, say something yada yada. So I don't know. I'm I'm very I'm very curious to maybe check out some of Jordan's uh, philanthropic uh, mm-hmm. things, and maybe he doesn't you know toot the horn about it the the same way. But yeah, next time yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm gonna look up some of that stuff. Better. Like <laughs> <laughs> MJ. No, it's just like yeah. So that's what they're comparing. You know, off the court, on the court. I think on the court. Greatest by far. Yeah. Period. You know? Sure. But when that's over, it's a lot of collateral damage. There's <laughs> a lot going on. Yeah. And that's what, I mean, that's why I, that's why I actually like this documentary. It's 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 uh it's tragic, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful tragedy, you know, it's it's a lot of sacrifice, you know. I'm pretty sure kinda of looking back, you'd be like, damn, you know <laughs> I think but I probably would have played baseball. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if you looking back at it, at his life, you know he doesn't look happy. To me, he does look he does look happy. He does. I don't yeah. see it. To me, he he looks like you know what? I, he I, looks I, retired. Well, good. <laughs> he 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 put in his time. He he sacrificed. All right. He gave. I mean, again, at the end of the, the the third championship, he was super super tired and was ready for a break. Right. Yeah. Takes that dust ball, comes back and does a, a, another three takes a break and you know comes back does the thing with the wizards but no to me he looks i don't know he looks happy and he, he looks he looks contented right they're you know? content probably yeah. yeah he looks he looks content like man i i, I did my thing and yeah. i and i i accomplished i accomplished my Heck goals yeah. and i did make i he did make his teammates better maybe a little bitter along the way but again at the end of, at the end of the day do those players, does Steve Kerr become a coach? You know? Yeah. <laughs> he looked like a coach. Yes. <laughs> yes, he still becomes a coach. A lot of people still are going to be on the trajectory. Does he, does he win? Does he, 
without championship, championship experience, being in those hard situations and mm. seeing how it's done, can he then manage a, a Steph Curry, a Draymond Green, a Kevin Durant without having dealt with, in person, a Michael Jordan? I don't know. I, neither do yeah, I. But, but, but you know, they were we, all in the league, so they're going to. I think their career paths are still going to be what they are. Minus maybe if Michael Jordan isn't there, you're not getting those three peats. You know, you're probably going to be in the playoffs like they were when he was gone. But um, and you're going to try to find. You're going to draft somebody. You know, hell, uh, Shaq could have went to the Chicago. Like who knows? But the definitely history is different. But I think. But if you're not put into the moments without, without positions to nail the the big shots in the big games. Ku coach was that dude. Just saying. Hey, you know what? Hey, Tony was Tony was Ku coach was that dude. Uh there's a I can't remember which basketball game this was, or, you know, what year, but whatever. But Reggie Miller comes shoots I don't know if it's like a two or a three, shoots a last minute shot. It's like three seconds left. He shoots it. Boom, 0.8 seconds. Mm-hmm. And he's like looking at the camera like, yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> you remember that? He loves to do that. <laughs> he's like looking at the camera like, yeah. Goes back to the other side. They throw it to Koo Coach under three. And he, as soon as he touches it, he throws it because it's like 0.8 seconds left. Mm. Throws it up, bank, boom. Chicago wins. <laughs> Koo Coach was that dude. Hey, they, they brought him over from. There's a documentary. For a reason. Um, I don't think it was on that because uh, I've been looking at other like I'm like man this sent me down rabbit, rabbit holes yeah man yeah. Uh, but there's like a little documentary kind of talking about well maybe uh, maybe I'm just getting it all mixed together but in the last dance did they talk about how Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan like beating up on Tony Kukoc oh yeah they that did was, that was like that was the last episode four it was, okay it was yeah maybe like episode four or so uh-huh. maybe three three or four okay I was like was this last dance or is this another yeah because it was during it was during the Olympics when they talked about the dream yeah. team. And they just beat the crap out of them, right? That's, yeah, yeah. That, well, yeah, they, yeah. They, yeah, they made it. They, they, in, the, in, the, in the first game, yeah. in the first game they played against Croatia, um, mm-hmm. they made it real hard for him. But in the finals, he played. He 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 adjusted. He played much much better. Okay, he, he got it. So his last dance. Okay, I, th- I was tripping for yeah, a I second. I was dance. like, what? like into his rabbit holes because I started looking at these little side things, like mm-hmm. things you might not know about Tony Kukoc. You know, it's like, wow, he had a lot of buzz. You know. Last minute shots, last second shots, man. Buzzer a, beaters. Yeah, he was a. I think it like six or wasn't it like six that year? I don't remember the number. The um, when he hit the one that Scotty sat out on. <laughs> yeah, that was wild. I didn't. I didn't know about that. I didn't either. I was like, oh man, Scotty, come on, dog. So to put it in context, like, like we're talking about MJ. This is the MJ show. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. Uh, you know, just fast forward a little bit. Hey, we just feeling nostalgic. And, you know, we lived through this. You know, we, we saw did. this. We witnessed greatness. Yes. Yes, um, yes, yes. You know, I can't take none of that from none of those guys. Like, MJ met them better, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the thing I do appreciate about his leadership is that he doesn't ask somebody to do something he's not willing to do. There you go. Right you know, there. I'm all about that. Like, Lead if I'm not going to make 100 calls, I don't expect you to. Yeah. I'm all about that. So, same thing with like directing. You know, I don't, I'm not going to ask an actor to do something that I'm not willing to do, unless you know. Well, shoot <laughs> Inside joke. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Uh, especially when it's like putting you know in danger or something like that. You sure. Know? <laughs> but I do appreciate that about the leadership. Uh, so can't take any of the greatness away from these guys. Period. Sure. You know. So, uh, it's 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 difficult to 
put yourself in these people's shoes because you don't know what it's like. And that's why I always take that's why I say this is like a beautiful tragedy is because there's very few people that truly understand what the what a Michael Jordan's going through, what a Tiger Woods is going through, Man. what a Michael Jackson is going through. You know what Muhammad I'm saying? Ali. Muhammad Ali. Oh, Ooh. God. So it's um, that's why I say it's a beautiful tragedy. And, you know, I'm not you know casting judgment, but I can't imagine. I just couldn't imagine like that level of fame. Again, we see it on display when when they're overseas. Yeah. And just again, when you when you come into the stadium and just press microphones in your face all around up. I mean, I don't as big as LeBron is. I don't know. If he had it like 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 Michael does. Yes, you have social media. But I mean, as far as like, I mean, boom, just probably. I mean, anytime you see a tall guy that's over six, four. Plus, you're gonna automatically assume it's a play. <laughs> it's a ball player. It's an unfortunate stereotype. It is what it is. Sure. Um, anytime you see it, and that per that person standing out above the crowd, you're automatically gonna think athlete. And then if it's a face you recognize, you're, they're in trouble. Sure. But I mean, I don't know. I still think this this is reminding me in Jordan's heyday just how big he just how big he was, man. Like mm-hmm. just I don't know. It's uh yeah, like he was mm-hmm. the guy. Um, yes, I think uh, Kobe's there. You know, rest in peace. Yes, you know, from my iconic standpoint, LeBron is definitely there. Yes, he he's an international, international star. He's been a star for most of his life. You know, I remember being in college. You know, in it was what two thousand two, two thousand three. People were rapping about him. Jay Z's talking about him. Sure, like stars are going to his high school games <laughs> to see this guy. Yeah, and then he goes to the NBA. And exceeds expectations. Like yeah. he lived up to the hype. Yeah, he did. Ninety million dollar shoe deal, lifetime deal, but like not even eighteen. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I was like, he's man child. I mean, yeah, to have that physique coming out of high school and to go directly into playing against professional basketball players that that is mighty mighty impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, again, yeah, he lived up to the hype, man. Yeah, it's crazy. Indeed, indeed. So anyhow, so yeah, everybody's great. Be great, people. <laughs> Be great. But yeah, man, I got, I can, I, you know, it's hard to imagine what those shoes are going out. You know, being offered, you know, money, sex, drugs, fame. Nah. The bigger you get, Anything the you more want. accessible. The bigger you get, the more accessible yeah. it is, and the more excess you could potentially live in, but also the more potential for entrapment. You're you know? a target. You're a major target. Yeah, because there's people who are just waiting. Waiting to to, I, to hem you up. When I see people like that, I think about like just the dark organiz- dark organizations that want to get involved with you. You know, mm-hmm. like hey, you like gambling, huh? <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, whatever it is that you like. You know, you know? Uh, and we, I remember we talked about uh, uh, what's our guy? They did Godfather, the director Francis Ford Coppola. He's like, you don't want to. <laughs> he kind of like stayed. He's like, you don't want to get involved because it's hard to get. You know, yeah, you don't get too far in. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, how easy it is to entrap like an athlete, you know, that's unaware. Oh yeah. Anyhow, any more on the Last Dance? Watch it. It is great. ESPN. It is, it is quite lovely. All I can say is, there's there's better ways to win. <laughs> we good here. We good. We good here. We, we good. We good. <laughs> Magic Irvin. Oh man! <laughs> um, I watched the first episode of Money Heist. Only one episode. Only one episode so far. Dang it! I'm going to get in some more, but if I'm going to watch it like with the subtitles in the original language, I, that, that takes total focus, and I can't do anything else 
And that's why I'm like, ah. So I'm, I'm, I, got, I have to decide if I'm going to watch it that way or not. <laughs> what do you do when you're watching shows? What do you mean? Some things I want to I want to do, but that, that it's total. Even like eating food, I've got to like be able to look at the screen and read all the subtitles. So yeah. I'm like, you know, Espanol, you know, Spanish. But it's it's different. Like it's like it's almost like tuning into a radio station. When I hear yeah. somebody speaks Spanish from a different country, yeah, it's like it's like tuning into a different radio station. Try, you got to you have to find the frequency and to be able to make out all the words. So since I've only watched one episode, it's not totally dialed in just yet. So. It's un poco, un poquito diferente. Yeah. So, but yeah, first episode was good, man. Okay. It was solid. I was like, okay. So I, we'll come back to it. But man, there's there's a lot going on. I watched a part of a Hasbro on their YouTube channel, did a G.I. Joe, mm-hmm. like old school G.I. Joe marathon. So I was working on Friday. Oh, I kind of had that going in the background. <laughs> Yo, let me tell you, G.I. Joe for mm-hmm. a kid show? Number one, there are crazy like there's some adult stuff like like adult comedy that's mm-hmm. that's mixed into GI Joe where they like you're like oh wait a minute snuck that in wait a minute yeah there's yeah there's it's it's kind of funny like there's one where, where uh, one of the characters Scarlet she smacks the heck out of this one character named Shipwreck because he makes a pass at her and he's like eh, why don't we go here yada yada and she's like how about not <laughs> I was like dang but I give the show props because. Number one, like you got a decent amount of diversity going on with the Joes, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Uh, and again, come back to the character Scarlet. You got a, a a female lead character who is just kicking all kinds of butt throughout the show. Her, Lady J, like they're putting they're they're putting work in, and I'm like, and I think that represents yeah. the military for real. Like it's diverse. So. Oh yeah. So that's, that's, it's cool to come back like to that, and just some of the some of the different lines. Uh, there's some things that I caught here and there. I'm like. Mm-hmm. Ah, like uh, Cobra Commander. At one point, there's a line where he says, "I should have been a comedian." <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh, wait a minute!" The guy who voiced him, a dude named Chris Latta, actually was a comedian. Boom. So I'm like, "Ah, I see what you did there." But no, so digging on some of that, uh, I re—I no, not rewatch. I watched an episode of the Toys That Made Us, the second season. Mm-hmm. I watched the one on Power Rangers. Yeah, any good? Yeah, oh yeah, very fascinating. I was very, a Power Rangers kid. When did they come out, dude? That's ninety. Three, because I was in junior high yeah. when Power Rangers dropped, and I would catch it. I would catch somebody would come on like in, in the, the morning, yeah. yeah, right before I'd catch the bus to school. And I was just out of that that range where I was like, I was like, ah, you know, I wasn't like too interested, but I still would watch it. And I still, yeah. you know, it was in the morning. Like, oh, okay. It was, yeah, it was kind of yeah. cheesy. And it was, it was like, all right, but man, when you see like when you see the genesis of where that came from, Marvel, Stan Lee, mm-hmm. we're talking back in the eighties. Yeah, maybe like mid eighties. Mm-hmm. They had seen what Japan was doing with the uh, the kind of the martial arts style yep. of having these shows where you have a, a hero that transforms. It's a, it's a specific name that kind of style, um, and it started with one character who did a show, and then they started thinking, oh, let's add multiple characters. Stan Lee saw it back in the eighties and wanted to make a wanted to bring that over to the states back yeah. in the eighties, and he and the the lady who was kind of the head of Marvel stuff, their entertainment division. Mm-hmm. They got together, got a tape. They went around to the studios to try and sell this thing. They all laughed and said, "This is stupid." It did look shut kind of, them down. It, it did look cheesy. Like in retrospect, it's cheesy as heck. What, what captivated me is I was a martial arts guy, so mm-hmm. I was in taekwondo. So anybody like the people that they cast really knew the martial arts, and you could tell. I was like, "Oh, that's that's taekwondo. That's so and so." You can tell their different styles. And so I was like, "All right, I'm in." <laughs> Man, <laughs> it was cheesy, but I was in because I was like, they knew what they know what they're doing. Oh yeah, oh yeah. 
And so it just so happened that years, mm. years later in the 90s, finally you had that woman who was at, at Marvel. She then was now over with Fox. Mm-hmm. And then the guy who wrote a lot of the theme songs, Saban, who's he's a Israeli dude, he had, he had done a lot of the themes and things for different jingles for different shows. He ended up, he was a fan of that stuff. And then he ended up reconnecting with her and then they formed Saban Entertainment. And then they were able to sell it. And the way they got it onto the, the like the local stations, they made a deal with them to say, "Hey, look, if you pick up the show, we'll give you a portion of the toy sales." Ooh, gangster! Smart deal, man. Because again, a lot of these toys, mm-hmm. especially like the Zords and all that, the the Zords and all that, they were already made. Those were rehashed Japanese toys that had been around for a <laughs> minute. Yeah, they just had the you know they had to just make the the the, the characters. Um, Actually, I think maybe even the original toys of the of the Rangers themselves were mm-hmm. already in existence. They just kind of brought them over, and they had already started up the uh, the entertainment wing, Bandai America, and like crushed, dude, crushed. Anyway, yeah, super fascinating toys that made us <laughs> Power Rangers. One of the things that I watched was I don't know how I ended up on. Oh, I was, I was trying to find more episodes of uh, actually of, of I think of GI Joe, I guess it was, and so I ended up downloading the. I can think of the app. It's the app. It's the company that that produces a lot of their stuff. Not it's not Funhouse. Anyway, I end up downloading the the app on my Roku, mm-hmm. and they have a lot of retro stuff on this particular app. And it's, it's stupid that I can't think of the name because how can I direct you what I saw if I can't think of the name of the app? Um, I don't know. <laughs> you know what? I can pull it up on my phone. It's Google time. But I ended up coming across this show called Soul. S O U L exclamation point. Oh, hosted by it's obviously straight from the seventies. Hosted by a singer uh, named Jerry Butler. It's one of my sister's favorite singers. Mm-hmm. And this was a combination soul music, but also politics. Like it was, it was a politically charged a TV show. show. Yeah, there's soul, a soul. There's a, a documentary about that. that that was shown in 2009 actually um in the same uh film festival we were at at the Denton Black Film Festival 2019 really yeah that there was a documentary called Soul talking about that well i came across a um i watched i watched like so what's that episode. these are the actual tv episodes yeah uh-huh. like it's like it was like one season and i came across uh an episode shout there we go shout tv is the the, the name of the app shout tv boom so under TV and variety shows, I came across Soul, and they had an episode with Muhammad Ali on it. It's the interview that Jerry Butler did with Muhammad Ali. It was freaking awesome. That interview was was pretty awesome. Soul, just, yeah. Just hearing uh, Ali talk about where he was, it was it was. This is right when the Vietnam Wars happened. This is wow. right when his uh, title had gotten stripped away. Mm-hmm. And yeah, greatest of all time. Hey. On and off. Well. Are we good here? We good? Hmm? We good here? We good? Showing you an example. <laughs> no, no, no comment. No, no comment. He is great. Great in, in multiple, multiple They call aspects. him the greatest for a reason. The greatest. Uh, Michael, uh, Mike Tyson, like, cries when he talks about Muhammad Ali. Mm. He's like, Mike Tyson, <laughs> who was Mike Tyson talking to? Uh, maybe it was either Joe Rogan or another podcast, and then he because they were asked they were asked Mike Tyson, you know, who do you think is the greatest? I'm not Lee, <laughs> but he, and they were just like, why? Ludicrous. He's like, why? You know, he's just like, and he's Mike Tyson started like kind of tearing up a little bit. He was just like, Muhammad Ali is gonna die in that ring, 
He said he will fight. He's willing to put his life on the line and die to be the greatest in the ring. Mike Tyson's like, I ain't doing all that. <laughs> he said, Mike Tyson's like, I ain't doing all that. Like, he's not going, he was basically saying, I'm not going to the extent that Muhammad Ali's going to do. I'm going to go, you know, do, do my job, do what I got to do. But he said, Muhammad Ali's willing to die. He said, I'm not willing to die in the ring. Powerful. Crying when he talks about him. Mm. I was like, when you get somebody that's a peer or, you know, or not even a peer, just um, somebody, another generational athlete that comes up after you and has that your respect for you. I mean, what, can, what more can you ask for? That's Mike Tyson, bro. <laughs> and he says, you're the greatest. What? Yeah. Ali was, he's fast too. Fast heavyweight. Yeah. One of the fastest heavyweights out there. But yeah, that interview on Soul. S-O-U-L exclamation point. Soul Boom. on Shout Factory. Me outside of watching the glorious last dance. It's like watching fireworks. <laughs> <laughs> They're dangerous, mm. but glorious. Pow, pow, pow. Uh, uh, I watched uh, Money Heist Part 4, Episode 2. That's all I'll say about that since you're on Episode 1. <laughs> Got a little way to go. It's a little bit. But th- you know what? You're right, though, about as far as like reading the subtitles. It This is one of the few episode, few uh, TV shows because I'm reading the subtitles and things like that. I know the characters' names. Like usually, I, I forget kind of outside of the main two Same characters. Here. I'm like, man, that's someone you know, the guy that played someone, you know, that's the guy who did the thing. Yeah, you know, Michael Pena. It's like, <laughs> but in this one, I'm like, I like, I, I know all the characters, not all of them, but at least ten characters. Okay, and it's because you're reading it. You know, you're taking the audio, you're seeing it visually, and you're reading it phonically. I'm like, all right. I don't know. It's just it's a different experience when you have to tune in like that. Yeah, you got you got to lock, lock in. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Read decisions. Uh, decisiones. <laughs> All right, are we done here? Are we good? Are we good? I think we good. <laughs> are we done or are we finished? Thank, thank y'all for hanging in. Yeah, and uh, now we, to our, we're going to get to this film. We yeah, promise. then the show. Yeah, we, that was our first show. This was the part, second part two. Part two <laughs> of filmmaker commentary. This episode of filmmaker commentary is brought to you by. Natural Hair, the movie by Grind Over Matter Films, now available for purchase and rent and available streaming for Amazon Prime members and also available once again for purchase or rent on Vimeo On Demand. We encourage you to watch it and leave a review. Thank you all for tuning in to Filmmaker Commentary. We're talking about Hot Fuzz, directed and written by Edgar Wright, co-written by Simon Pegg, 2007. Let's jump into the synopsis. Top London cop Nicholas Angel is good, too good, and to stop the rest of his team looking bad, he is reassigned to the quiet town of Sanford. He is paired with Danny Butterman, who endlessly questions him on the action lifestyle. Everything seems quiet for Angel until two actors are found decapitated. It is called an accident, but Angel isn't going to accept that, especially when more and more people turn up dead. Angel and Danny clash with everyone while trying to uncover the truth behind the mystery of the apparent accidents. Hot fuzz. And this is your first time listening to filmmaker commentary. Please know that there will be spoilers. You've been forewarned. Man, what genre do you think this falls under? Action comedy. Yeah, me too. I put action comedy thriller? Question mark. In IMDb, they put action comedy mystery. Oh, okay. I think mystery works. Okay. 
good stuff. How did you watch this movie? Was this your first time watching it? What do you? What were your thoughts? It was my first time watching it. And I loved it, man. <laughs> this 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 is the kind of movie that you you I think you almost have to watch twice because the yeah. the the jokes, the puns, the gags are coming a mile a minute. Plus, it's all also mixed with kind of some of the, like that the British humor. Yeah. Uh, so a little bit like like Monty Python. Um, and then Edgar Wright's own sensibilities, Simon mm-hmm. Pegg's sensibilities. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of a lot of gags. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I can only imagine, like, if you're actually from uh, the UK, yeah. watching this uh, from a referential standpoint of not only the, like the other actors who are in here, because listening to the commentary, they say there's a lot of like kind of heavy hitters mm-hmm. uh, in this that I didn't recognize. I didn't know aside from Timothy Dalton, mm-hmm. Remington Steele. No, but um, but I, I I loved it. I was like. This is it's a, it was hilarious to me. I was laughing out loud multiple times. That opening scene alone, which is him in the office with the other police officers, and in in this I don't know, just the atmosphere of how they're talking to him, and all of a sudden, so you want to talk to somebody higher up? Yes, and all of a sudden they're, they're just there. right there. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I was dying, man. I, I I really appreciate this film. How about you, man? First time watching it. I've been hearing about this film, not hearing about it, but. Research this film because we're searching for commentaries that are great. And this one kept popping up yeah, because Tarantino is on one of the commentaries. And I was like, I'm going to have to get it just for that. Hmm. And um, but this is a great film. And I forgot it was Edgar Wright. You know, we've covered his film Scott Pilgrim versus the world in episode 14, the filmmaker commentary. I really this was a director I wanted to go back to and look at his work. And so it just kind of worked out that way. Uh, but I enjoyed it. You know, the first time it, it was kind of long, you know, it is kind of long. Yeah. So so watching, I was like, ah. <laughs> but then once it takes off, it takes off. Watched it with the wife. We really enjoyed it. Watching it again, even, you know, we had to put subtitles up because I, so, like sometimes they're talking so fast and you as an American, sometimes you can't catch the references or mm. they're saying something so fast or um, you're not used to the accent that you don't catch the joke. And so sure. I had to put the subtitles on just to just to be sure. Okay. And um, yeah, we enjoyed it. So it, it has uh, rewatchability for sure. There's rewatchability. I'm probably going to check this one out again, especially checking out the com- commentary. Uh, but I did like the uh, like the, the wit and the comedy in it. Yeah, I might have to get. Um, I know this was available like in a three, like a three disc set. I might go and look for that to get it. And maybe I think maybe I think Shaun of the Dead. That's the one I got. This is the ultimate edition. Yeah. I think I might find like again. There's another three disc set that has like this Shaun of the Dead, oh, and maybe even the the End of the World or whatever. Oh. Uh, that's not the name of it. But I might I might look for something because I I I read mine from my local library. Boom. Thank you. Shout out to the Arlington Public Library. Yeah. Central mm-hmm. location. But I got this DVD from them, and that I was like, man, I was I was nervous if it had commentary on it because yeah. it didn't say on the back of it, and, right. I, and it said loads of other things, and so I popped it in first thing and. Okay, good. This commentary track, but but yeah, this one is one that yeah, I would I would definitely visit. I mean, it was it literally was was laugh out loud. So I can only imagine what uh, features you have on the on the ultimate yes. version. So the special features. This is the ultimate edition. I went on and purchased this seven ninety nine at Movie Trade and Co. Um, outtakes, twenty two deleted scenes, five feature commentaries, eight featurettes. Special effects before and after, 22 video blogs. Oh, wow. The making of Hot Fuzz. See, that's why I, I don't have the making of Hot Fuzz on mine. The deleted scenes were there. Only one commentary track. Did it have the, um, 
the tour that they did, their citywide or U.S. tour? Dude, I believe so, because it says in much, much more. And I didn't even have the time to go through the special features. I was just looking for the commentaries, and I was trying to determine which one I'm going to you know, listen to. That's why I asked you, like, which one are you listening to on yours? Like, the only one I got. Yep. So I was like, okay, <laughs> that's going to be the one. And, you know, and, and through the research, they were saying that one's probably the better one. Uh-huh. Um, and then the other ones are just, you know, them rambling and stuff like they that. They made reference to having recorded another one. <laughs> yeah. Even in, in, the, in the one I listened to. I was like, oh. Yeah, because you have the one with the actors, then... Uh, uh, there's five of them, so like the actors, and I can't think of the other one. But. I am very curious to hear Tarantino, what yeah, he has to dude, say. Dude, it was him, he's upbeat. He I started listening to about 20 minutes. And I was like, let me. This is going to be for another time. Sure, this, this is just to play in the background and right. let it play while you do something else. So I actually want to, but like he was just talking about Edgar Wright was saying that I needed to find somebody that was. Um, they were telling him like people that he had to get. Uh, on the commentary, he said, I need somebody that's like a star or something like that. Then, like, Terrence like, yeah, yeah, I'll be a star and be on your. Hey, no problem. So, they're just nerding out about movies. They're like, oh, wow. that's all they're doing. They're not on task. Because him, <laughs> you know, they come across in the commentary very knowledgeable. Him and Peg both, because they're, they're making just continual references. Again, yeah. when they talk about the actors who are, who are in it, I mean, yeah. they're super knowledgeable yes and, and also nerds because they're they're bringing up different you know comic book references this and that i'm like oh, I, I enjoy knowledgeable people yes. but it, it is a the movie is longer than i anticipated when i yeah. started watching and i got to surprise i was like when does it minute, how much time is left i'm like oh okay all right i mean i, I was you know enjoying <laughs> took it time but i was like there's a lot going on here because <laughs> the movie makes an unexpected turn like when that first murder happens i was like wait a minute yeah this kind of happy go lucky and yeah. fun i was thinking comedy and it became a mystery yeah real quick <laughs> and then the, like the last it was portion, bloody he was just squirt it was like i was yeah. like it's a little violent it I went from like, pg-13 to like r yes quickly i was like ah. <laughs> about 30 minutes in it's like oh, oh okay we're going there all right i did it's kind of like that. uh dust till dawn mm, yeah yeah like I didn't when it turns yeah. it turns <laughs> one of no return main uh, course is blood blood and so there's storyboards on here i think the script may be on here uh but i would recommend this film um for filmmakers for sure because the way that edgar treats every frame is like he cares about it and like simon Pegg was saying on the commentaries that he, this guy can draw pretty good edgar wright can draw yes and so it makes sense that he drew all his storyboards so like every frame is almost like it's perfect mm. And you you could tell that um, they spent time, they spent a lot of time in it. So I'll re- I'll recommend just studying each sequence, just how he frames his people in there, composition people, indeed. Uh, but the commentary in general, it's knowledgeable, not overly technical. There's a couple technical tidbits in there yeah. along along the way. Yeah, um, it's a good ride. Yes, <laughs> but, strap in. Yeah, but since the, you know Simon Pig and. Edgar Wright, since they both wrote it, you know, it, it does have a different feel because they're talking from from themselves. And it's, it's like it's like when they're writer directors, they're a part. A part of them is really in the film. Oh, yeah. And they and they know the changes that happened and, mm-hmm. and, and this and that. And again, also you having Simon Pegg star in it as well. Yeah. It almost makes me think of the commentary for Saw. Mm-hmm. Right. Because it isn't one of the uh, the, the lead actors. Didn't he also help like co Oh. He helped me help with the screenplay or something like that. He had he had some he helped create role. it. Yeah, he yeah, helped create yeah. song with um, what's our guy's name? Aquaman director. Yes, <laughs> Lynn? No, in 
Jason Lynn? No. No. Director of Aquaman. And also he did the... Uh, Sidious, right? What was it Insidious? Wong. James Wong? James Wong. Is that right? James Wan. <laughs> it's James Wan. <laughs> James Wong? You said James Wong? Is that right? <laughs> no, Wan. W-A-N. <laughs> no, you said Wong. I initially I did, and I said, no, that's, that's wrong. <laughs> Wong is wrong because it's Wan. So James Wan and I don't know if it was like his roommate, uh, but they were... They created the Saw thing together, and he was also an actor. And he was one of the guys that was chained up. I just don't remember his name. Lay Wanell. There you have it. So yeah, so the yeah, so you're saying like the collaboration and the vibe on the commentary mm-hmm. gave a lot of insight. They gave a lot too on that film. Check out Saul and on filmmaker commentary themes. I had to do a little bit of research, you know, because I had like my own themes. I was thinking about it. Um, but this thing was well written. You know, there's a, there's a certain structure. You can fill it. And uh, Blake Snyder's book, uh, Save the Cat, actually referenced this movie, you mm. know, because in Blake Snyder's book, he talks about themes and like characters leading you and using a character to state the theme. And um, with that, uh, the theme that is stated is when um, Nicholas Angel goes to his, I guess it was ex-girlfriend, Janine. Um, and she says, you just can't switch off, Nicholas. And until you find a person you care about more than your job, you never will. Mm. And what we ends up finding is his partner, his new partner in the new t- village <laughs> that he's uh, that he's at. And um, it becomes a buddy love story, basically. Bromance. Yeah. That Blake Snyder talks about in the book, Save the Cat. Man, I had both those things down as themes. I had knowing when to turn off and bromance. Um, I also had a theme of stand your ground. Boom. Because even even though it's part of him knowing when to turn it off, it's also him keeping it on, right? Kind of staying persistent mm-hmm. uh, in cracking this this case and and not giving up. Uh, and even eventually his, his partner having to stand his ground against his own father, uh, mm-hmm. at the, you know, towards the, towards the latter part. True. Yes, indeed. Um, what do you think about the tone? Oh, I had another, Oh, my bad. Brother. Another thing. My bad. I didn't have no more uh, things. That was it. Uh, fault in perfection mm-hmm. because within obviously, uh, Nick Angel, you know, he's got striving for perfection. And again, mm-hmm. it's cost him so much uh, to where he's he's got he's 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 faulty because mm-hmm. he's pursuing this perfection as an officer. Like you know, coming back to the main theme of knowing when to turn it off. At the same time, the townspeople, right, this inner circle, they're trying to pursue perfection of have their town be the best to the point of murder. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, fault in <laughs> in perfection tone. What do you think about the tone of the film? So initially, uh, fun. Yeah. And then all of a sudden frightening and suspicious. <laughs> Dark comedy. Yeah. And, and then towards the end, mm. it, it's, it's kind of back to, to fun and, 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 and frantic. Cause now it mm. becomes like an action, like straight on yeah. action. So it kind of hits these three phases. Ah, it's the comedy. Oh, Oh, the mystery. Yeah. And then, uh, action all the way action. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's true. It's kind of hard to juggle all those and kind of and be effective. I don't, they, they pulled it off. I had like uh, it's self aware. The movie is self aware, and it reminds me of like Scream, the movie Scream. Of course, you got oh, the hoodies oh. and stuff like that, but just how it's like self aware. That's good. Yeah. Cinematography. I had, um, of course, they shot on film. You can see the green. Um, it feels. It doesn't feel digital, even though there's digital effects in it. Sure. Um, I, I guess it has like a more of like a blue. Did you feel like the blue cooler type of feel in it, especially like in the, like at the very beginning? Yeah, yeah. Maybe that. I don't know if they tweak colors uh, later in the film, but I felt like a cooler kind of vibe, kind of early on. And then they will use colors just like heighten the scene. Like maybe they're throwing some reds here and there mm-hmm. to just uh, more of like an accent. But like the actual color was like blue. Loads of uh, jump. Cuts and whip pants. Yes, indeed. Just which is it, it's 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 it works. It's it's fun. It's enjoyable. Some there's a couple of cool transitions, like mm-hmm. when I think it's ooh, I think it's the guy who's in who has the house, mm-hmm. and they just they oh yeah yeah it's the guy that they end up carrying home because he's drunk yeah and they drop him on the floor of his of his house yeah. And then at the point of him getting killed, I think this guy's driving, driving a whatever, like, yes. like in the guy's head, and he's like slumping down, and then it dissolves. It was a in, jump cut. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> jump jump cuts into Simon Pegg plopping down. Yes, onto the couch. That was awesome. That was, was a good like, transition. So, like the feeling <laughs> of it when you hear it, it's almost like uh, the character that killed this other character. It's almost like you feel it through Simon Pegg's character, mm. uh, Nicholas. Yeah, Angel. So, yeah, when you hear the thud, it's like you hear the sound, but it's happening to angels. Yeah, to angel. Mm. Now, I thought that was really, really cool. That was a good one. That's one that's like actually draw attention to itself. What? Yeah. So I was like, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like the directing style, um, that transition storytelling, the montages, uh, that's just Edgar Wright style. Like, especially when you see Scott Pilgrim, it's all through oh, there, man. Oh, yeah. Uh, he, he, I don't see, he keeps it interesting throughout the whole film. Sometimes you'll just have, like, he talked about, like, the Scorsese montages and things like that. You see them do it, like, for certain sequences, and that's kind of it. But with Edgar Wright, it's, like, kind of played throughout his whole film, you know, the transitions. There's always, like, a piece of clothing or something like covering and do on wipe and it wipes and now you're closer to the frame or it does a wipe and now it's a whole nother scene. And mm. so that's like, that's a cool little trick. He uses like, like digital special effects in like a hidden way. Nice. Nice. He also, they also took the time to, uh, at least in the commentary, talk about their, their DP, uh, Jess Hall mm-hmm. and how with different scenes and settings, I think, you know, just really, really well lit. Uh, mm-hmm. now they were, they were, you know, painting with light and again <laughs> that's a know, book reference painting with light painting with light but also as we learn from listening to a lot of uh, Ridley Scott's commentary mm-hmm. uh, and behind the scenes stuff in terms of when you're overseas at times when it comes to the role of the DP yeah uh, they really have a, a, a typically much stronger influence I don't know if it's still the case when they shot this but the DP really does have quite a bit of um, responsibility at times in terms that's of right. the shots so I, I wonder how that played out with uh, with this I'm trying to remember if it was like with the real, with the international situation is it uh, the DP is also the cameraman at the same time, but like here we have the in America we have like like the first the person that's operating the camera, but then you have the DP who's lighting who's responsible for lighting, but he's not operating the camera. Yeah, something I, along I, those. I can't remember. 
Yeah. That was in, was it Aliens? Yeah, I think even, yeah. When you talking and about that? Yeah, yeah, definitely in Aliens. Uh-huh. Because okay. like they were almost like almost like a mutiny, almost ready to walk out. Yeah, uh, and I think you, I think even the first Alien, they are they are good movies, indeed, indeed. And also just um, just in regards to um, his composition again is uh, perfect. There's an example when they find a sea mine in one of the cabins of one of the country people, and when they discover it in the foreground, we see uh, Angel on the phone talking to the precinct, but then the background, when he says something, the people in the, in the background actually respond to what he's saying. So it was like background characters, like in real life, they wouldn't even be able to hear them because mm-hmm. how far they're away, but they're still responding to them. Like they're right there. So just like the composition of how that works, it's pretty clever. They like to use that, especially like uh, during that chase, when he's chasing the guy in the grocery store and mm. then they get to those fences and then you see him, you know, angels <laughs> jumping over those fences. Yeah. Like, and that last one, you know, you know, it's a stuntman who does a little parkour flip. Uh, and then his partner just goes, and just crashes. That comedy through. reminds me of Naked Gun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what? There was a point where that came to mind. I was like, man, it's got a little bit of, you know, Farley Brothers, uh, definitely like Monty Python. I mean, yeah. they're they're paying a lot. They're paying a lot of homage mm-hmm. to a lot of different kinds of, of films. I mean, there's obviously loads of action homages from mm-hmm. The movies they reference directly from Point Blank to Bad Boys Two, yeah, it's it's this is a fun film. It is indeed. Um, what you got for tropes? Tropes. Um, small town with secrets. Boom. Crooked police. Non-gun user must use a gun in the end. Obvious suspect. Demolition Man Sandra is the Bullock. suspect. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I just yeah. thought about the trolls when you said it. Yeah, I mean, there's quite there's quite a few that like to do that. Like I don't like guns. Yeah. By the end, pow, 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 yeah. pow, they just go into town. Um, the rundown uh, with the with the rock you nah. know, does does spoiler alert. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's see. The, yeah, the obvious suspect is the suspect. I, I love the way they play mm-hmm. that with, with again with Timothy Dalton's character because yeah. he's just from the from the get go. He's just saying these maniacal <laughs> things. You know, to crack that brain open and just extract what's inside. Like, oh, man. Like, when like, we first what? meet him, he's jogging the street. We can slash prices. I was like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, this dude is like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's brilliant. At the same time, it's like, it's so blatant. Like, it almost makes you want to write off. Like, oh, okay, no. They're not going to go that obvious. Yeah. But it's like, oh, it's obvious. And then at the end, they try to, like, swerve you. Like, oh, no, wait a minute. And then, like, oh, wait a minute. Um... <laughs> Uh, two more tropes. Uh, all yeah, all action uh, movie, all the action movie gun tropes you could think of. For sure. You know? And he's even asking about them. You know, have you ever jumped in the air and shot your gun, or have you ever just fired your shots in the you know in the air randomly? Maybe shot with like, the two hands. Um, you know, they end up getting behind a table and doing the gun shootout thing. I mean, just like every Terrible. every trope, driving and, and and shooting. Oh, and then of course, yeah. Uh, you know, the the fight in the fight in the rain, right? Even oh, though they're in a small, dear God. <laughs> a small like, <laughs> oh man, model little model homes, but Manage, yet yeah. sprinklers going. So it's like this is a rain fight. That was I'm terrible. Like, that was and that was pretty smart. Time. I'm like, that's pretty funny. Uh, and then murders made to look like accidents. And this, they had a book that was made by Roger Ebert. They were reading a book, and mm. it was uh, cliches. What it was a thriller cliches. It was called uh, The Big Book of Hollywood Clichés by Roger Ebert. So, yeah. So I kind of cut my trope short because I was like, if we do all the 
tropes or cliches like that's hundreds probably yeah with that in mind uh one i wrote was just uh that he actually talked about was a library montage looking for clues. Mm. Like every film has that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, discovery. We see that in it, the movie it just going through the blueprints. Oh yeah. Let me get some blueprints. Did you say this? The boss is the bad guy leading you astray. I didn't say that specifically, but you, you said something about the boss. I don't remember. Um, and then the, this cop, the cop buddies from different point of views become best buds. Yeah. That's all I got. Um, what about quotes? Mm, okay. All right. So one of the characters that cracked that cracked me up, like it's like this this it went in like this succession where you had the the female officer, mm-hmm. whatever scene was playing out. You had the female officer. Every time she made a comment, it would be this sexual innuendo. Her and name then, is Dorius Thatcher, and I was like, all of her quotes are quotable. Yes, and so <laughs> Dorius would say something sexual in relation to you know her enjoying sex, and then you had the older guy. He would just simply say one word, kind of summing up what she was saying, like the the main like sexual content of what she was saying. And it was just it's just hilarious. So uh, the first time <laughs> when 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 Nicholas Angel is just gotten a tour of the of the of the police uh, precinct, and she said, "I could have given you a tour. I've been around the station a few times." It's yeah. like, whoa. <laughs> But she always does it like with a, you know, like a, you know, like she's being like cheeky, but she's yeah. being serious at the same time. And yes. it's just, I don't know, her delivery of it is just, it and cracks me up. It's every perfect. Time. And it's perfect that she's like the female character delivering these lines to the guys to get a laugh out of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that that type of wit and comedy, I noticed it in The Office, you know, the BBC version. And I was just like, this is... Like you all, you have the character. Like when it comes to like the sexual comedy, it seems like they're not as up in arms as like Americans <laughs> in that regard. Mm. You know, even like with a character like they're doing, it's just like ah, the guy's gonna add his joke along with it, right? But yeah, to add to what you were saying, her next one was it was a scene, the car scene. It's the stage car scene where two people have gone into a collision. What they call a traffic collision, or they saying it's an accident. Yes, the, the guys, the the heads are decapitated on the streets. It's a bloody mess, and one of the cops is trying to figure out and telling everybody what happened in the scene. And she's there with the old guy again. He said they came at top speed and took the whole top off. Then she said, "I had my top off in this lay." And then the old guy's like, "Tits, tits." <laughs> it's like just a double punchline is perfect. Bow, bow. <laughs> Oh man! I like the quote uh, that they use from Bad Boys. This just got real. Just got real. Okay, so when uh, when again when when uh, Angel is 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 touring the the station, and they meet the guy who's doing like kind of the the surveillance stuff with all the cameras, and and they start complaining about the 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 uh, the statue. He's like, if we don't stop the human statue, we'll be up to our balls in jugglers. And <laughs> <laughs> jugglers. I just, I, I just that just got me. I was like, man, these guys. Yeah, uh, that one got me. The other crime scene, I'm just doing all Doris Thatcher. Ah. <laughs> uh, at the crime scene when the, the mansion blows up and it's been staged to look like this guy fell asleep while cooking something on a gas stove and his house blew up. Mm-hmm. But that is not the case. Uh, but they're again at the scene trying to talk about you know what happened. And the, one of the cops is like, I told him several times he shouldn't eat late at night. Then Doris Thatcher, I don't know. I quite like a midnight gobble. <laughs> then the old guy's like, cocks. <laughs> I was like, this is great. <laughs> oh, man. 
Just like boom, boom, right there. Uh, when when Nicholas Angel is in in pursuit of the shoplifter, yeah, and uh, you know, shoplifter turns a corner, and then Nick, Nicholas quickly turns a corner, and all of a sudden he's like, he stops. He's like, "You mothers!" And they cut you literally a group of mothers with kids in their strollers that they're they're just literally like almost blocking the the alleyway. Yeah, uh, just you know, just so tongue in cheek, but like dead on it. I'm like. This works like that. That's the one that could have you know been like, oh come on, but they make it work. Like all right. Um, one of my last ones was uh, when uh, Angel is cracking down on the bar. He's like just kids are like underage drinking and stuff like that. He's just cracking down. Like in this community, they're allowed to do it, I guess. But he's just cracking down on these kids. And one of the kids said, "When's your birthday?" And the kids like, "Nah, yeah." <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, this happens like twice, but both Nick Angel and uh, his his buddy, what what is his buddy's name? Butterman. Butterman. They both at one point both say, "By the power of Grayskull." <laughs> I was like, "Yes, <laughs> love that Masters of the Universe reference." But yeah, I just yeah, I dug that. Uh, any more quotes? When uh, when Nick Angel is interviewing the lady who owns the flower shop. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of beginning to break down the the potential pieces that matches up the motive of the potential killer. Mm-hmm. And she's talking about cousin Sissy. Mm. And and when she's when she made the decision to sell her shop, and then you know, he said, "Well, cousin Sissy can go." And and and, and, and you know, Angel kind of interrupts. Wait, wait, tell me about this again. And just you now, just the way she was about to go and say yeah. she can go. Yeah, I just I don't <laughs> know. I just love that delivery, that stuff, and then boom, it gets cut off. Uh, do you have any favorite scenes? Again, the opening scene in in the the office when they're when he's dealing with the other police officers mm-hmm. and with Martin Freeman and, and these other uh, actors, just man, it's like they're trying not to crack up, uh, but their delivery is, is is so serious and sincere. And watching the outtakes is pretty funny too because like they they cracked up multiple times. Wow. Trying and the guy to was from the that. office. The guy um, for looking from Simon Pegg's perspective, the officer that was on the left, not the one with the gray hair, but the other one that was on the left. The last one to come in? No, no, he was like the first one. He was like the very first one. Oh. And he was actually on the office. He's well known. He was also in startup and some more things in America. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, that scene just, it had me dying. I was like. <laughs> and they, they had that witty banter in that show as well. So it was like, man, I, I can imagine they were just dying laughing yeah. just the whole how's, time. How's the hand? <laughs> how's the hand? Oh man, you want to speak to someone higher up? Okay, <laughs> you're making us look bad. <laughs> yeah, right. That's the oh man, that, that whole premise. Well, and then he's like, well, "We'll see what the rest of the force has to say." And he walks out. They've got to, you know, we'll miss you. Congratulations! <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> like we're ready for you to go. Wow, you putting in too much work. They were like, they, 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 the stat they gave like your your rest are like four four hundred percent higher. <laughs> Oh man, dear God! Oh. After Nicholas Angel has arrested all the kids, I think he just right after he arrested all the kids, whatever. Uh, we meet his soon-to-be partner, and he's coming out of the bar drunk too. He's about to drive, and then Nicholas Angel's like, "I hope you're not planning on driving like that." And he goes, "No." And then uh, Nicholas Angel starts looking at this. What is it that he's looking at? Is it a an inscription uh, on the fountain of like names? I think. I yeah. Think. The name of people that maybe have contributed to the building that fountain or something. Yeah, but his back is turned towards a car, and then out of nowhere, that car <laughs> is in reverse, coming towards mm. Simon Pegg, Nicholas Angel, and then he flips 
and it cuts to him flipping towards us. And it's like, we can see that it's actually Simon Pegg doing the flip, the front roll. I'm like, yeah, well done. Then it crashes in the background. Like, that was a good shot. I wonder how many times they had to do that freaking thing. That's a good point. And in just in general, seeing Simon Pegg do so many stunts, like being this like physical, because, yeah. you know, he's fallen into quite a few roles where he kind of plays, you know, the tech or the nerd or, the, or whatever. Yeah. But he was quite physical in this in this role. Like, it was it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool to see. Wow. Um, yeah, and just even the reveal later on, the next day after he takes this guy and, you know, locks him up and he's trying to check on him the next day, where's the prison? And all of a sudden he sees him come in and he realizes that he's an actual officer. It's like, oh, man. The whole, the whole police station's a mess. Man, they are. Um, another favorite scene I liked was uh, at the, the, the classroom scene at the at the very end when the photographer trying to take pictures. He's like, okay, so um, why don't you handcuff the teacher? He's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> not the message we want to say. <laughs> Why don't you put handcuffs on the teacher? No. <laughs> I do. I was like, is this is this going to happen? Is this thing going to happen? And it's uh, the point blank scene that he's describing. <laughs> yeah. The point blank scene. Is it Keanu Reeves that does the shooting in point yeah, blank? Apparently. So, um, Nick's, what's, what's our guys? Uh, uh, Butterman. His dad's getting away, right? And he's about, he's like, man, do I, I shoot him? <laughs> I saw it coming. I was, I was like, like, oh, is it going to yeah. happen? And sure enough, it pays off. And he shoots it up. Ah, nah, nah, nah. Now he can actually relate. And he's living out, like, in his brain, he's he's idolizing. So he's actually living this out. I was like, oh, perfect for him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then for me, the, uh, towards the end, the recap, when he gives us, when Nick Angel, I almost said Simon Angel, I was mixing yeah. art and fiction. Um, but when... Nick Angel is giving the the recap to Simon Skinner, played by Timothy Dalton, of the reasons why he believes he is the the killer. He goes through this recap and he's connecting all the dots, mm-hmm. and then tries to find the scar that he believes you know Skinner should have on his leg from when he murdered the the lady in the shop, and it's not there. He's like, "Well, this is it, you know." And it's there, and another leg, and still not there. But just that that lead up to <laughs> be dead wrong. And his like, name, he's like, what about Sissy? Oh, that's my nickname. They used to call me Sissy because I was in ballet. What did he say he was in? Oh, I forgot what, what, whatever it was, but <laughs> then they all could back it up. It's like, oh, he was like, gay lord. Mm. <laughs> I was like, I'm like, dang, boy, they just ragging on each other. You know, and then when, again, in that same scene, when when he talks about, you know, what about, you know, the, the, the extra jobs? And he's like, well, so-and-so does this on the side. And he talked about, you know, and, and so-and-so, she's a dancer at the whatever, whatever. And it cuts to those two, the two detectives. And they're like, yeah. And they look at each other and like, mm. <laughs> the expressions on their face, man. Those guys were, those guys were pretty funny throughout as well. It's a fun film. It is. That's all I got for favorite scenes. Yeah, me too. Trivia. I just have one. Just that uh, the massive collection of DVDs, you know, um, I expect that from a filmmaker, mm. especially a newer filmmaker that's going to be looking at DVDs for for reference. Um, they fought very hard for all the actors and the cameos that are within this movie. So, yeah, they had they fought for them all. Uh, Kate Blanchett is the, actually playing the girlfriend um, oh. at the beginning, but she's got all the obviously the PPE on. So. Yeah, but that's Kate Blanchett. Murder on the Orient Express had direct influence mm-hmm. on this film. They tell why in the commentary, but I won't. Uh, it's a pretty big spoiler. I was like, dang, I've been meaning to watch the, well, there's multiple iterations and the Too film late. is very old. But I'm like, well. Yeah, never watch it. Well, peace. Um, <laughs> Robert Rodriguez. Robert Rodriguez uh, actually put together the music 
for the scene. Ah, okay. For the scene when they're doing, okay. For the scene when Nick Angel is in the DVD store and then also when he's doing the big load up with all the weapons. All the guns. Yeah. 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 Robert Rodriguez composed that music. That's pretty cool. I like how Robert Rodriguez kind of sticks his little music in around. He did that for, I think it was Kill Bill uh, for Tarantino. And he, of course, does his own score. Sin City, most recognizable. Super talented, man. For sure. Any more trivia? That's it. Now it's time for Filmmaker Tips. I only have four. Let's get it. Again, uh, reading is fundamental. So uh, they read Roger Ebert's Big Book of Clichés. So actually, that's uh, pretty important for whatever genre that you're going to be shooting. Make sure that you understand the rules of your genre so that you can break those rules. There you go. You got to know the rules before you break them. Boom. Uh, This was shot in Wales. That was more trivia. Um, But it tied into... um, Edgar Wright, he actually from he's from yeah he lived that's his like he grew up there yeah he worked he worked in a in an actual grocery store mm-hmm. uh, as well. Well, for an actual tip though, uh, mystery can give away the ending. Yeah, depending on how you shoot, you can use mystery, and you can sometimes give away the ending um, at the beginning if you're paying attention, which is some degree what, what they kind of do again with Timothy Dalton's character giving away that True. yeah this guy is he's the murderer yeah slashing prices I'm gonna crack open that skull of yours <laughs> and just extract what's going on inside there <laughs> like why is he and talking the, so and he's talking to a lady when he does that yeah. and she has this annoying life like <laughs> I'm gonna crack that skull open and just extract it's like it's oh, so well done man I'm like this, this guy's lines man um the actor um, Nick that's playing Butterman, who's Nicholas Angel uh, partner. So the 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 scene when they're jumping over when Simon's jumping over all the gates, like five gates, and he's jumping in procession over them. Then it's his partner's turn. His partner's a little bit overweight, you know, and some mm-hmm. husky guy, big guy. And so instead of jumping over the gate, he runs into the gate, Chris Farley style. Oh yeah. And then the director has the actor Nick looked back so that it can show us that he was the one to actually perform that stunt. Yes. I didn't know that. And that was, uh, that was pretty clever. It was, it was, um, you can take something mundane and make it seem action worthy. Like they do with the paperwork, mm-hmm. right? Whenever Nick angel books, somebody, mm-hmm. the action and the music go into the process of booking them. The music, the shots, yeah, just you know, the, it goes like to a kind of a hard rock kind of theme going on, and it, you know, with the with the <laughs> whip cuts, like dramatized paperwork, dramatized paperwork, and he used a style. I think we said it was like Tony Scott style. There would like the flash. I think it was like flash photography mm. when it was like popping white and then coming back. Yeah, um, Tony Scott style. Oh yeah, yeah. And especially towards the end when they when they're locking up the townspeople, like. <laughs> They all just look like criminals all of a sudden. They go yeah. from these mild-mannered people. They're all, they're like, yeah, you know, like stick it out. I'm like, this is hilarious, man. Like they're really just embracing like their inner criminal now. They're like, hey, we got caught. So they're like, yeah. Um. So Taylor Dalton, Taylor Dalton, he actually spikes the camera. He looks Timothy at, Dalton. Is oh Timothy Dalton? Thank you, Timothy. Timothy Rodwell. Timothy Dalton. Go scroll open it. Do you not know who I am? It. Remington Steel. Remington Steel. So he spikes the camera. He looks at us, the audience, and breaks the fourth wall, looks at it. And uh, Edgar Wright says that 
normally he would just have him do the take again. Sure. But when you see his eye look at us, he puts in a cash register sound. It goes, ching. Mm. So it's a little clever way to kind of cover up what was an accident to kind of be in like, oh, he's thinking of something. And it's pretty funny because he seems like he's a pretty, obviously he's a professional actor for a long time and pretty intense. There's actually an outtake where he was trying to get his line and he got it wrong and he started just cursing. <laughs> and he sits down and they're like, we're still rolling. He's like, oh, we're really? We're still rolling. <laughs> it's it pretty funny. I'm like, he's a pretty serious actor. So he had to spite the camera. I'm like, you know, it's one of those things. We were drunk. <laughs> that was probably a possibility. Just yes. saying. I cracked a bottle open and I just <laughs> took all the contents out. <laughs> um, they mentioned in the in the age of the DVD. This is obviously 2007. Boom. In the age of DVD or Blu-ray or yeah. streaming, it said you deserve Blu-ray. to make aha. You deserve <laughs> to make a feature worth watching more than once to give your audience something they can go back to and watch it again. What's a movie that you that has rewatchability? There's, I mean, there's. There's plenty. Once I just was constantly just like once you see it, you say, "Okay, I got to go up and watch it again." Um, no, okay. Do you mean like because of it, because I enjoyed it, or because it was made and I, and I know there's things I didn't catch the first? Watch I think through. that's what he means by that. Now that you know one version of the story, mm-hmm. when you go back and look at it, you're going to look at the story with you a different set of eyes. Because um, like if we watch this again, now we know the Timothy Dalton. We know his character, and now you look at his character, and now he's. It's like, oh, he's been guilty the whole time because he's play- <laughs> how he's playing it in the background and stuff. You just look at the characters differently. Yeah. Um, I mean, I had one that popped into my head and I lost it. It's gone. Man, I had it. And then it- I was going to say, I think most mystery movies. Oh, Knives Out. <laughs> Knives Out. Because of its mystery. Mm-hmm. It was, it was an enjoyable film, too. I enjoyed the, the uh, Who Done It? Yes. I haven't seen it. Who Done It? Yeah, it was, it, it was an enjoyable little film. Got a lot of press, that one. Yeah. Um, I was thinking of, but I probably won't watch it again. Hereditary. (laughs) (laughs) Just because of what, like, there's some creepy stuff kind of going on behind, just in the background and stuff. And it's like, if I was really into just being tortured, yeah, possibly watch. Like when you watch that film, feels like the devil's next to you. Like if I want to feel like that, that's the movie to watch. How you doing, Uh, Reginald? Um, welcome back. Yes. Have a seat. I've got something for you to sign here, if you don't mind. Oh, no problem. Here, use my pen. No, oh, thank you. It might prick you. That's okay. <laughs> oh. It writes better that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, mm, there's that, some, that's like on the opposite scale. We're like, mm, yeah. some things you know, yeah. don't watch that again. Yeah, but if I was into it, that one has some re- a lot of rewatchability just yeah. because of how it was structured. It's well done, really well done. But, yeah. Yeah, it's like genius, but it's like, ugh. yeah, that's kind of like the for me. It's like the there's one called the the witch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was telling my brother in law that I, I watched it, and I'm like, just talking. About it, I'm like, no, I wouldn't watch that again. <laughs> that was uh, don't touch the dial. Yeah, afterwards you're like, why did I do that? <laughs> Who did that one? The witch. Oh man, <sighs> was that the one that's a black cover and it has like uh, some animal on the front? Probably. <laughs> Looks like a, a hog or something. I don't know, but it looks like there's an animal on the front. That's all. That's what comes to my mind when mm. I think of the witch. It, if there was an animal on the front, it would make sense. <laughs> Based on how it ends. Yeah. Uh, he said, "Why did I do that?" Yeah, like, mm, that's, uh, 
that was really dark. Yeah, there's certain films where you just have to pray afterwards. Like, yeah, I, like I haven't watched. Uh, was it Summer Somerville? Some. Uh, oh, Sumer. Wait, it's by the same director who did. Yeah, yeah. So- Somer. Somerville or Somer? I think it was Somer. <laughs> yeah, because the same director, and I've been seeing it there, and I'm just like, I'm not watching it. Like, like, I I was like, mm. the, I know how I felt about watching Hereditary. I think that's the closest to hell I want to get. Yeah. It. Yeah, I've seen it. It's like, you know, there's a curiosity there because I'm curious, you know, how it's executed. <laughs> but I'm just like, you know, about nah. curiosity. Mm. I don't want to be a cat. <laughs> I don't want to be a cat. Somer? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, Somer. But I'm just like, no. that's what that's what it popped up. Somer? Midsummer. Midsummer. Somer. M I D S O M M A R. Well, just because, you know, I mean, again, the key art, you've got a girl who's just like, looks like she's in just utter terror and agony yeah and uh, and the whole premise is about a cult Mm -hmm. that's what they're about to celebrate their i guess it's a a situation that it's it's a holiday happens every hundred years or something like some solace or something like that you know it's sacrifice and so you're done you already you already know what you're getting into Mm -hmm. you you ain't getting out alive this this is not one of those happy from based on that on that first film like this no this guy ain't interested in, in the heroine or hero gets away this ain't that nah, kind of party hereditary hereditary made me feel like oh did i make god angry by watching this <laughs> Lord, <laughs> have mercy on my soul it was blasphemy <laughs> yeah he died. you can tell we're a little bit of scarred yeah from uh, yeah that film but uh <laughs> That one sent me down a dark path. We started watching Insidious. Like, oh, this is light. Yeah. This is- what did I watch? Because I watched, um, I watched something else like, like Brightburn. Yeah, I went and saw Brightburn. I was like, oh, no big deal. Whereas my buddy who watched with me, he was like, he was speechless after Brightburn. Like speechless. He's like, ah, that was, man, that was that was really. Uh, you know, I'm going to go and watch Avengers Endgame again just to kind of watch this. I, I, that was like, it hit him like that. But I, again, I had just seen, you know, heard that was like, oh, that was, that was it wasn't bad. That was kind of cool. You trained for that movie. Fear, I was fearless, not phased. I was like, oh, that's kind of gory, but. I'll watch. Have you ever watched a movie with a demon? You know, I've seen Hereditary. I've been through some things. You don't know. <laughs> oh, man. Um, Tangent. Yeah. Yeah, so things worth re-watching and some things are not <laughs> you decide like if you're into like for real like if you're into it that one's it's got that that one that has watchability to it um jackie brown uh just because they do so many things with the transitions and stuff it's like what did i watch that right pulp fiction yeah there you go another tarantino yeah and tarantino was on the commentary of edgar wright which is also another rewatchable film mm. uh scott pilgrim versus the world unbreakable yeah yeah, I think movies that are specifically geared towards mystery slash suspense, mm-hmm. where there's a big reveal at the end, where there's a big reveal at the end, are, are meant for you to say, oh, wait a minute, let me go back and mm-hmm. ah, connect the dots of the clues of the breadcrumbs right that were laid out. And that's, again, one of the powerful things is as a filmmaker, being able to know when to let your audience in mm-hmm. on something, but then also knowing when to withhold it altogether, and then also knowing when to went to hide it and you can say oh no it's there but once you understand the context then you'll then you'll see it then you'll see christopher nolan maybe some of his stuff oh like a um uh what's the one with Inception? the magicians 
Oh, the prestige. Oh, that one. Mm. That one definitely. But yeah, that takes a. You're definitely keeping the audience in mind. You you have to actually keep that in mind while you're writing it. Absolutely. Uh, story. Another tip. One of my last tips is just storyboarding is essential. Uh, Edgar Wright is a is a. It's a good. He draw. He's a good drawer. So he does. <laughs> he does drawings. You know my name is Simon, and I like to do drawings. It's an essential skill. I think every filmmaker should storyboard. Mm-hmm. You've mentioned this multiple times. Yes, and the proof is in the pudding. You can it translates. You can see it in the composition without a doubt. Mm. And um, filmmakers that are writing and then and are storyboarding, you, you could just feel like the care in the composition. There's like no throwaway compositions. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You can use sound as a score like they do in the the bar scene where the police are all gathered around together. Different sounds happening in the background are kind of a a score in and of themselves. Mm. Um, You have to get permission to use um, footage of actors, even in replays from their films. So whenever they showed scenes from Point Break, from Bad Boys, Swayze, Will Smith, Martin Martin Lawrence. Lawrence. Yeah. They had to get permission, even using the key art. Like when they show the scene in that DVD store, yeah, all those moves on there had to get permission. And it's because it's copyrighted, ladies and gentlemen. There you go. And you know what? It and that's when you're looking at. You can kind of look at it two ways. It's like it's the studio. It's the studio system. It's they want to make sure they never get sued, or they, they just want to make sure that they're crossing all the T's, dotting all the I's. And even if they don't have to do certain things, they're going to do it anyway. Uh, their legal department's going to do it. Uh, but as you know, as an independent filmmaker, sometimes you don't have the money to be like, hey, can I use your poster? Or da, da, da. Well, we learn from fair use in certain things. Um, if things are used, like, say, a Coca-Cola can, you drink it, put it down, but we see it in the shot, and you're not misusing it, or like, I forgot there's another legal term for it. Yeah, but you're using it how it would normally be used. Okay. Then you won't have to get you know clearance for it if you got a a laptop and it has an Apple on the back. But you're using the laptop and using it how it's supposed to be used, which is typing on. Sure. You don't have to get clearance for it, but like a contextual functionality. Yeah. But if you are typing on the Apple <clears throat> laptop, you said Apple computers don't work well. Mm. <laughs> then you open yourself up for some lawsuits. Uh, so, yeah, that's just an example. Slander. All right. Uh, a couple of the quick tips. Typically, when you see a close-up of a sharp object, that usually means someone is going to die soon. Thriller cliches. Originally, Nicholas Angel was going to have a um, another girlfriend, I guess, that he meets in the town in the script. Uh. They ended up cutting that part and giving a lot of lines to uh, Butterf- Butterfield? 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 Butterman, mm-hmm. uh, hence all the more enhancing kind of the bromance. I yeah. mean, like even like when they walk to uh, up to um, Butterman's apartment, he's like, "Well, this is me," you know. That's right. That's so like first date kind of Golly. like dialogue. Well, do you want to want to come in for some you know <laughs> tea? You know, it's like this is like first date kind of stuff. Like it was like yeah, it's, it's so funny, you know. But but yeah, sense. so they gave a lot of those lines to him, and so it kind of all the more you get the bromance going. Uh, and then lastly, it kind of goes with the theme, though, when she, when his ex-girlfriend was like, you're not going to until you find somebody that you care about more than your career or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, or and then his partner, his new partner is saying, you can 
You'll never. What was the thing? You'll never, never know when to turn it off. Turn it off. You never know when to turn it off. It kind of runs away. Real <laughs> <laughs> kid. It kind of plays against because normally you would expect him to find his love interest because she she says it and then he's like, okay, I need. She's been cheating on you know, whatever. He's got a new relationship. <laughs> that, that was funny too. She's like, you know, you know he's like, you know, I'm, I'm I'm seeing someone now. Is it so and so? And the guy's like. She was like, oh, well, you know, I never date someone yeah. like him. He turns around like, mm. I'm dating so-and-so. And he's right, right next to him. And they all they are totally just, you know, covered. You can't tell yeah, who's who. Yeah, it's clever. Clever. COVID style. Mm. But yeah, you would, t- you would expect him to meet his new love interest. But, you know, kind of, it's it's interesting how they play certain things in here. Yeah, it was yeah, it, it, a smart way to, to still make that work. Um, and uh, at the end, you can sometimes use the title at the very end to show the completion of a transformation. So the title Hot Fuzz doesn't appear until the very end of the film because now they have officially become that. Um, in a lot of comic books nowadays, the name of that particular story, now they will often put at the very end of the issue. There you go. It's a pretty cool effect. Like okay. when you get to the end of the issue and all of a sudden it says, boom, you're like, Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, that 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 fits. It might have like a quote at the beginning of it, and then like I'm reading like the uh, the Immortal Hulk, and they they do that at the end of each issue, and it works pretty freaking well. But yeah, you can put the title at the end to emphasize if they have become what the title is. Hot fuzz. Hot fuzz. Anything else? That's about it. All right. Next time we're going to watch the film Thelma and Louise by Ridley Scott. Yeah. That should be fun. Oh, yeah. Um, and you can catch us where? Facebook.com forward slash filmmaker commentary. You can also like, rate, and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and SoundCloud. You can follow Reginald Titus on Twitter at Reggie Titus and on Instagram at Reginald Titus Jr. We'd love to hear from you if there's a film or movie you would like us to review and check out number one please make sure it has commentary uh but yes please feel free to connect with us we appreciate your support you can also find me at kcg smith on both instagram and twitter until next time peace respect Respect.